0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by
1: intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto, digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellects vast,
0: cool, and unsympathetic.
1: Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and this is episode 14, The Return to the Return to Ravnica. I'm Dave, and I've got Travis on the line with me today, and we are going to talk about flashback drafts. Travis, what is up with flashback drafts?
0: On Magic Online, they release something called Flashback Drafts. Usually every week, you've got an old set to go back to, and it can be a lot of fun for somebody who's played that set to go back and draft it again. However, someone who wasn't playing during that time might be a bit intimidated by them. So in this particular set that's coming back, the Return to Ravnica block, which encompasses Return to Ravnica, Gatecrash, as well as Dragon's Maze, I... I did really well in that set. Um, finished fifth place at a GP, uh, almost top eight at a GP, and had the highest limited rating I'd ever had uh, prior to Shadows in Gate Crash. So this is one I can act, I actually feel like we can do a primer for and get people who haven't played this format ready to play it because it's an awesome format and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I, I I've had the experience of like trying a flashback draft that I'd never played before and it was kind of miserable because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought today we could maybe. Help folks who haven't tried to Return to Ravnica see exactly how much fun it is and and walk in with some knowledge.
1: Yeah, and actually, this is perfect for me. Um, Return to Ravnica was actually the the set that um, I came back for. And so previously, I'd played up until Mirrodin off and on and not very seriously. I was in school at the time. And then when I came back again many years later, Return to Ravnica was actually my first sealed, my first draft format that I got back into. So I didn't play it a ton, But I do have very fond memories of it, and uh, I'm very excited to actually try these out online. It's just I'm in that inexperienced boat, Um, only playing it a few times, and that was so many years ago as far as my magic history is concerned, that uh, I'm really excited to go through this primer, and I'm going to pick your brain of all (laughs) relevant knowledge. So I'm actually looking forward to this quite a bit, and hopefully uh, we can help out our our listeners as well. So I think we're going to start it off with a pack one, pick one. Uh, for Return to Ravnica and then we're just going to go right into the archetypes and the mechanics of Ravnica. Um, Probably follow it up obviously with Gatecrash and a little bit on Dragon's Maze to close out the podcast. So buckle in everyone and we hope you enjoy.
0: Alright, I've got a pack one pick one for you. But before we dive into that, I want to take just a minute to kind of explain the structure of this block. It's a little bit weird. We're going to start off drafting Return to Ravnica, and that'll be three packs of that set. Next comes Gatecrash. We're going to draft three packs of that set by itself. The two don't interact yet. Lastly in the block, Dragon's Maze is released. When that comes out, you draft one pack of Dragon's Maze, followed by one pack of Gatecrash, and then one pack of Return to Ravnica. It's kind of a unique release style, um, at least to my knowledge, in Magic's history. So we've kind of got a big set we're going to draft, then another big set, completely separate, and then we're going to combine them in that last set. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense.
0: Okay, well, cool. Let's start us off with a pack one, pick one from Return to Ravnica, and I'll have another one for us when we go into Gate Crash. So here, first off, we've got Annihilating Fire. This is one red red for an instant, Deal three damage to target creature or player, and if you kill a creature with it, it is exiled instead of going to the graveyard.
1: So basically a three mana lightning bolt.
0: Yeah, three mana lightning bolt, instant speed, all the good stuff can go to the face. Um, and let's pit that against Righteous Authority. This is three white-blue for an enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each card in its controller's hand. At the beginning of the draw step, enchanted creature's controller draws an additional card.
1: Okay, so makes your creature bigger, draws a couple of cards, maybe. Um, Okay, okay. Um, I think that uh, knowing what I know about magic, I would lean toward the Annihilating Fire for reasons because it's removal, it's instant speed, you know, does a a reasonable amount of damage, and Righteous Authority is an aura. Uh, So obviously you uh, are prone to getting blown out. Plus when you're casting it, I mean, it's 5 mana, your hand is going to be empty. So aside from the card draw, which I, I mean, I guess is good... You'd probably draw a couple of cards off it. Is five mana really worth, you know, draw a couple of cards and maybe give your creature plus two plus two? Um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I think it would definitely lead toward the Annihilating Fire side of things.
0: Does the fact that Annihilating Fire is a single color card play into that at all for you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, stay open, right? Like you pick one color, you, you have multiple different directions you can go. With the Righteous Authority, you're obviously locking yourself into blue-white as your first pick. Um, you know, And as we know, being open is, is the way to go when you're drafting.
0: Okay. I set a trap for you, Dave. I'm a terrible person, and I'm sorry.
1: Oh, you are a terrible person.
0: Yeah, this is an easy righteous authority. And I'll, I'll go through and explain why, and I think that's why we absolutely have to do this primer so people can feel like they can jump in and do these flashback drafts. So you would think that taking removal is what you want to do, pack one, pick one, and, and quite often it will be. Annihilating Fire is a fine first pick. Not against Righteous Authority, though. This is one of the bombs of the format. So, first off, we've got a couple rumors to dispel, and it all comes down to exactly how this set is drafted. The big thing to remember here is, in Ravnica, you have five specific guilds. They are comprised of two color pairs. So when you pick a red card, you're not actually staying as open as you used to be. If we pick a red card in Kaladesh, we leave ourselves open to pair that with four other colors, right? Right. Here, we can only pair it with black or blue because of the way this guild system works. So normally you'd want to avoid a gold card because it locks you into a specific two-color pair out of a potential 10. Here it's only locking you into one pair out of um, five, and you could potentially splash one of those because fixing is quite abundant in this set. So to, to kinda understand that, let's kinda go through the guilds and what they do and learn a little bit about them. Um, is that's, that's really gonna help you understand this format. So we'll start off um, with Azorius. This is your blue-white guild. Their mechanic is detain. This is most often on creatures. When you cast it, you will detain target permanent that an opponent controls. It can't attack, block, or use abilities.
1: Okay, so like a, a single-use single uh, revoke Privileges, for example.
0: Yeah, something like that. Um, it, it's also worth being aware that you can do this on artifacts, it's permanent, not creature. So, like, if they have an equipment, you can stop them from equipping it. Uh, you'll always have a target for it. You can detain a land. It doesn't really do anything. There's also a few effects that let you detain at instant speed. But be aware, since the effect lasts until your next turn, um, if you detain something at instant speed, it, it's not going to be detained very long. And I guess flavorfully, this is like them arresting people, right?
1: Right. Yeah, okay. So, but most of the time you're playing out on creatures, so it's sorcery speed anyway, so you're doing it on your turn. But that, that is a, a good thing to keep in mind, so...
0: Mm-hmm. And the, the general strategies of Azorius is kind of what you would expect from Blue-White. is It's mostly a, a Blue-White Skies deck. There's a lot of good, strong, evasive flyers in this deck. You're using some ground creatures to do blocking, some white removal spells, and kind of planning to win in the air um, or with other evasive threats.
1: That is my style. I do like to win with creatures and not having them be blocked by things. So <laughs> That is, that is a, a valid strategy to be good at Magic the Gathering.
0: Uh, next guild up is Is it. Uh, this is your blue-red deck. Their mechanic is Overload. You'll see this on Instance and in Sorceries, and it's essentially pay extra mana than what the casting cost is and target all of your opponent's creatures or all of your creatures instead of one of them. So we'll go through some examples of this as we get into the cards, but it's kind of a version of Kicker. Pay more mana, get a bigger
1: effect. Right, and, and the, the key one that I remember, I think, was Cyclonic Rift, which was a rare. It was yeah. really cheap to to bounce one of your opponent's creatures, and it was really expensive to bounce All of your opponent's creatures
0: that's a great example of an overload card so thank you and then the the strategy for is it uh there's a a couple different ones and this was kind of one of the harder decks uh in this format for people to figure out um usually they'll dirtle for a long time and then win with one of those giant overloaded spells so it may be cyclonic rift which dave mentioned to bounce all of your opponent's creatures and then swing in for lethal it could also be something like Teleportal was one of those cards, which makes all of your creatures unblockable, and you can swing in. There's also some aggressive variants where you're using some of the the high-powered, low toughness red cards to get in damage, and then some blue evasive threats to kind of finish off the game, or maybe tempo them out by bouncing creatures and that sort of thing. So that, there's a lot of ways you can win with Is it, um, but usually it's it's kind of that win from nowhere, you know, great story for your buddies type of win when you're winning with Is it.
1: Lots of bad beat stories to come from decks uh, playing against, is <laughs> it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, raktos is the menace of the format. This is your black-red guild. Their mechanic is Unleashed. It's simple. It's on creatures. You can choose to give the creature a plus-one, plus-one counter, and it cannot block. This should kind of tell you everything you need to know about raktos They're not interested in blocking.
1: Super aggressive all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. This deck wants to kill your opponent while they still have five cards in hand, and you have played everything out of your hand. So this this is your aggro deck, and it is very aggressive and uh, legitimately terrifying. This is what is limiting the amount of dirtle you can get. Last guild is Golgari. This is the black-green guild. Their mechanic is scavenge, which is essentially pay some mana. You'll find this on creatures. And you can only use it after they've either died and gotten into your graveyard or gotten there from somewhere else, like you've milled them. But you can pay some amount of mana. It'll be printed on the card. Exile this from your graveyard. And then put plus one, plus one counters equal to that creature's power on target creature that you control.
1: Right. I remember being very fond of this mechanic because it was um, like a a late game mana sink in a lot of cases. Um, you You could turn your 2-2, your two, two, I think it was Drudge Beetle, um, into 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters for 6 mana later on and kind of beef up your 3-3 three, three, or your 4-4 four, four to get through a board stall. Um, it was interesting, too, because it made your 2-drop your good on turn 2 and good late in the game, um, either after it got in the graveyard or it could chump block, gain you a little bit of life and then go into the graveyard. And it, it was really interesting, too. It was a very neat mechanic, the way it was costed, because generally speaking, your cheap creatures had a high scavenge cost, and your expensive creatures that had Scavenge had a cheap Scavenge cost, so it was kind of an interesting balance between the two. And your creatures, you know, that had Scavenge were generally good mid or early mid and late game. They fit right well in your curve um, and gave you some utility later when you were Hellbent or or top decking lands, for example. So I was very fond of this this mechanic.
0: Yeah, it's a super value mechanic. If you can manage to Scavenge onto something that's evasive, and there were several evasive creatures that you could find for these decks, that was great. And I can remember playing against Scavenge decks where they scavenge onto a scavenge creature, and it's like, okay, I can kill that, but then they're just gonna do it again, and keep lumping counters on something over and over. So it, it, it's basically the go-big deck of the format. It, it starts small, but it starts to grow into this big, giant, slimy ball that you just have, have trouble dealing with. The last of our guilds was Celesnia. This is the green-white one. And this was, I, I think, actually my favorite deck in the format. It, it was very, very good. Uh, their mechanic is Populate. Uh, which is simple, create a copy of target creature token you control. So you can guess from that that their strategy is indeed tokens. Uh, it, it's not just a go-wide strategy, although that's certainly part of it. They can also go quite big. Um, some of those tokens got to be the size of like a 4-4, four four, and you could also just have big green and white creatures. But Populate was a central mechanic to that deck as well.
1: Right, I remember being very fond of this. There was a, a lot of neat kind of cards, a lot of neat creatures and a lot of neat populate mechanics that were or cards that had populate stapled onto it. Um, So it was, it was, there was a lot of, a few different ways you could go within the token strategy, Um, but generally speaking, you were making a bunch of 3-3 tokens and swinging for lethal at some point in the game, which is again, something that I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, it was just a very strong deck. Once you could get a couple tokens going and start the populate train, uh, you could, you could keep them rolling out. So that, that, that's a really good one, too. I, I want to mention, just again, to really drive this home because it's such a different drafting experience than anything you've drafted before. While you're drafting, you're not really drafting 10 color combinations. These are essentially the only five you can go for. So, like, um, black-white isn't a deck that you're going to be drafting here. There's not any gold cards for it. The, the gold cards are really the power in this format. So you don't really want to figure out what color pairs are open. You want to figure out what guild is open and then draft that, or go for some crazy five color nonsense. And so don't worry, I'll tell you how to do that too.
1: Right, and this was kind of the premier multicolor format, um, you know, before cons, where like, you know, there were a lot of gold cards and they were all very pushed for the most part. So if you weren't drafting a guild, if you weren't drafting these these multicolor cards, you were basically like, you you're you're going to have a deck that was underpowered for the most part. A lot of the power comes from the synergy um of these gold cards and the mechanics that are stapled onto these cards. Like in Selesnia, there's a lot of green cards that have populate and there's a lot of white cards that make tokens or vice versa. And if you're not if you're not playing that that guild synergy, you're you're really not uh, an effective deck in this format generally speaking.
0: Mm-hmm. Correct. I I will also toss in there a, a tiny caveat in that it's it's okay uh, in your Selesnya deck to have a few detained creatures. So, like, the, the mechanics aren't exclusive to the guild. They're in multiple colors, so you'll, like, in your Golgari deck, you may play an Unleashed Guy or two. That's, that's certainly not a problem. But if you focus on the mechanics of the guild, like Dave's saying, you'll be a lot more successful. Um, it's also worth mentioning, like most modern sets, this was actually one of the ones where we started to see this trend, instant speed removal isn't really all that great. There's some of it. And the uncommon ones in particular are quite good. But Annihilating Fire, as Dave mentioned, even though you're gonna first pick that sometimes and be happy about it, it's a three mana lightning bolt, which is very different from a one mana lightning bolt. You're not up on mana when you cast that to stop your opponent's grizzly bear or you know, Centaur Courser or whatever. All right, let's move along and discuss some key commons or uncollin commons. Uncollins. I've got Phil Collins on the brain, essentially. Good music. I think that just happens you start liking Phil Collins when you turn, like, 35 or so? Uh,
1: I like Phil Collins, and I'm not quite there yet.
0: Okay, okay. Well, you'll like him even more, then. Back to the point. Let's talk about some key commons and uncommons for each of the colors, a few of the gilded cards, and a few artifacts. I'm not going to cover every card in the set, and I'm certainly not going to cover the rares and mythics. Those can be hard to understand, but generally speaking, evaluate those on your own. They're going to range from amazing to terrible, like they always do. But these are the cards you need to be aware of that are in this set. Um, First up on the list is Arrest. This is two and a white for an enchantment. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't attack, block, and its activated abilities cannot be activated.
1: So, basically Revoke Privileges.
0: A little bit better than Revoke Privileges, actually, because not many people are main decking enchantment removal in this set. So generally speaking, you can count on this sticking, and you can count on it staying. So, like, you need the thing handled. This handles it.
1: Great card, great removal.
0: Uh, there's next one we'll mention is Knightly Valor. I, I can't remember where, but this has been reprinted recently. Was it in Origins?
1: I don't remember. It might be something like that. Um, but yeah, it was. It was kind of regarded as a decent card when it was reprinted, and uh, much to the confusion of I think people that that kind of <laughs> thought that you don't you don't generally play enchantments
0: yeah and that's what got me too Uh, i can remember doing a set review of this myself listening to other people's set reviews everybody dismissed this card initially Uh, but it's actually quite good Uh, it's four and a white for an enchantment or enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus two plus two and has vigilance and you get a two two white knight creature token with vigilance on the battlefield so you're kind of playing this on one of your creatures. It's sort of like you get plus two, plus two. That sort of has haste, and maybe even a little bit more, because you're probably going to have an attack now where you didn't before. And in addition, if you can attack with it, it's vigilant. It's still going to be there to block. And you've got this leftover token to populate with, or like add on for a gang block on a larger creature. So like it, it's five mana for four, four worth of stats spread out, some of it with haste, all of it with vigilance. You, you add all of this up, and you've got a great card. You don't need to go crazy and and necessarily first pick these, although I certainly have in this format. And you don't want more than maybe two tops in your white decks, but it it, it kind of fits in everything white wants to do, with either making the flyers in the Azorius deck bigger and vigilant, um, and then giving you something to block on the ground, or in the Selesnia deck, just making your big creature vigilant so it can attack and block and giving you a leftover token to work with.
1: So it scratches a lot of itches in white, it uh, kind of avoids getting two-for-one generally because your token is usually left behind. And there is a, a slight enchantment sub-theme uh, in this format as well that it does kind of attribute uh, contribute to. Um, mm-hmm. So there's uh, Ethereal Armor and there's a couple of other enchantments that care about enchantments. So it's kind of like a very versatile card, um, and, and it does set you up for a few different strategies. And it just generally just plays well in any white deck, like you said. So...
0: Exactly. And normally when you're enchanting your own creatures, all of those caveats apply. Be careful about doing this if your opponent has a bunch of open mana. Like if they've got, you know, two red and a colorless, and you're thinking about putting this on a three or three, may want to reevaluate that and wait for them to tap out. Um, Unless you have to go for it. But it's got all of those risks of enchantment. But like when you stick it, this one's so good. Um, Two other cards I wanted to mention um, while we're in white are Eyes in the Skies and rootborn Defenses. Eyes in the Skies is three and a white. For an instant, put a 1-1 white bird creature token with flying onto the battlefield, then populate. So worst-case scenario, this is an instant speed, uh, 2 one flyers. You can do that end of turn, so you can attack with it when they don't see it coming, flash it in and, and block with them. You can populate on another token. And it's worth mentioning, as we're getting into some of these populate cards, once the spell has the populate triggers on the resolution of the spell. So if you have a 3-3 centaur token in play, when you cast this, your opponent can kill the centaur and not let you populate it. However, if this resolves, they can't stop you from copying it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think uh, like a good way to, to demonstrate that is if you had a 3-3 and a 2-2 token um, and you went to populate, if, if your opponent lets the spell resolve, you're going to populate the 3-3 and they cannot stop you. If they want to stop you from populating the three three, nothing is then stopping you from populating the two two. You make the decision after the spell is is off the stack, essentially. Uh, essentially, um, yeah. so so there's really no way unless your opponent can remove all your tokens to prevent you from populating. And a really good example of that is you know eyes in the sky, where you are guaranteed to get two one ones out of it. You are going to get one. And then you are going or sorry, you're guaranteed to populate because your opponent does not have time. There's no window for them to remove the first one one before you populate Mm
0: -hmm. so they
1: could remove it after the spell is resolved, but they cannot remove it while the spell is resolving and you will get to populate.
0: Correct. That probably matters a little less for Magic Online because, like, no one's gonna say, "I'll cast this targeting that." Like, you don't have to do that on Moto, but it's worth knowing when you're playing against these cards. If they've got a Centaur token and a Knight token, it's a great example that Dave brought up. And you don't want them to have another Centaur. Kill the Centaur with the 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 spell on the stack. You're not gonna be able to two for one them with this. Um, the other card I, I wanted to mention too was Rootborn Defenses, which is another populate card in white. It's two and a white for an instant populate. Creatures you control are indestructible this turn. Like, this can blow your opponent out in so many ways. If, if they try to remove one of your creatures with a burn spell or destroy target creature, and there are a few of those, you can respond with this, copy one of your tokens and save your dude, so it's got like that negate quality there. You can attack in with all your guys if they've got a few blocks that are even favorable for them. Save your team. The dream is they attack into you, and you cast this and just make all the great blocks... Uh, but there's, there's just so many things you can do with this card. It's another one I wouldn't go nuts of, nuts with and play like three or five or something like that. But if you're playing a selesnia deck specifically, you want at least one of these in your deck. Make sure that you grab this and make sure that you're aware that the card is in the format because it, it really is easy to get blown out by this.
1: This also helps selesnia keep their tokens around a bit too, which is something that you want to be doing. Obviously, if you don't have a token, you can't populate and that's kind of... Probably one of the worst feelings if you're playing a Populate deck is not having a token. Having all yeah. of these Populate cards in your hand and you can't do anything. Um, or at least you can't get the value out of your out of your cards. So it does help with that strategy as well. I, I would love to have one of these in my Populate deck um, you know, 100% of the time if I could do it.
0: For sure. And if you're playing against Selesnya, you've got to treat the tokens as real creatures. Don't look at them as, oh, it's just a creature token. It doesn't matter. No, you... you if you can keep all of their tokens off the board, you can actually beat them. Uh, so that's a, a valid strategy, too, against them. Uh, let's take a look at some blue cards. Uh, we're going to do an honorable mention for Doorkeeper. This was actually the first appearance of Fibblethip, uh-huh. everybody's favorite homunculus. I, I did I think not realize that. Yeah, this is where he came from. Uh, this is one in a blue for a 0-4 defender. We're going to see why it's important to be a 0-4 when we get into red. Uh, it also has an ability... Two and a blue, tap it. Target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is the number of creatures with Defender you control.
1: So if I remember correctly, there was a Defender sub-theme in this, uh, in this format. A, l- a l- small sub-theme, I would say, right? There was even mm-hmm. a, a five-color Defender deck, is that right? Correct. So this obviously then would fit into that. So so maybe you can maybe we can just talk about the Defender deck really quick while we're talking about Doorkeeper. Um, and then there'll be a couple of other cards here we'll talk about as well, but what what was the essential strategy behind the Defender deck?
0: There's actually several different versions of it, and there's a lot of reasons to play Doorkeeper. One is if, if you're doing something defensive and you don't want to die to three power creatures, it can come in handy there. This was also an alternate finisher in the basically you know three, four, five color Defender deck that really re- resolve, revolved around a green Defender that tapped for mana equal to the number of creatures with Defender you had. Uh, so we'll get to him and talk about him some, too. But the, the main strategy for, for that deck was to use that green card to ramp out giant things, play all the colors, get all the good gold cards. So basically, if you were in that deck, you wanted those... Bane Guardian, I believe was the name of the card. Uh, doorkeepers were fine as an alternate finisher. You weren't really, like, gunning for Doorkeepers, but they would go in the deck. Um, Lobber Crew was another defender creature that, that's in here that we'll get to when we go through red. Um, and you would basically stack all of these up, cast giant, powerful spells, and then sometimes have this guy as an alternate win condition. So he's kind of filling two roles. He can go in that five-colored defender deck, and he can also keep you from dying against red decks while you're trying to kill them in the air if you're Azorius, or get to your big, giant spell you're going to blow them out with And is it? So Honorable Mention to Little Fibblethip. That's a, a card that you're not necessarily going to want to grab early, but it's worth knowing that it's in the format, especially since you can basically build a deck around him. Uh, there's also a lot of cards in here that are some variant of a Wind Drake, whether you draw a card when it dies or you can pump it with white mana. Like, that's a lot of what blue is doing, is just casting flyers. But another evasive creature I wanted to mention, just because it's, it's so much better than it looks, is Soul Sworn Spirit. Uh, this is a 2 1 for 3 and a blue, which doesn't sound like a good deal. Uh, text box Soul Sworn Spirit is unblockable. When it enters the battlefield, detain target creature and opponent controls.
1: So it's kind of a bit of a double whammy. You get, uh, you can get some damage in if your opponent's board is, you know, mostly tapped out, or, or they only have one big blocker, and then you continue to get this damage through on later turns.
0: Correct. So it, it's going to let you get through with a creature that might not have been able to, or if you're on the defensive, you're basically stopping their biggest creature from attacking you and then you have this little unblockable clock on them. It, it is easy to remove if they've got a removal spell, but there's just not really that many removal spells going around in this format. Um, so it, it's another must-answer threat that will close out a game. It's kind of like another variation of the 4-mana, 2-power, flyer evasive thing, but tacking Detain on it really does something. Also, the art is just bizarre. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on in that art, but it's just giant hands.
1: Very alien-like, I think, if I recall correctly.
0: Yes, it's a very alien-looking card. Um, next card to be aware of in blue is is something you want if you're in that five-color shenanigans deck, and, and we will, once we've covered all the cards, tell you how to do that. Uh, but you also just want it in any of your blue decks. It's Void Wilder, Four and a blue for a 1-4. When it enters the battlefield, you may return target creature to its owner's hand.
1: Yeah, and we've seen this ability stapled onto a lot of creatures in the in the last few sets, and it's always good like even if it's over costed it just ends up being good in the format it, wizard seems to be really good at, at making sure that it has a place and that it's costed correctly um so yeah I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this card i remember it uh, quite well and uh we love this format i love this or this format this uh this particular feature this card
0: mm-hmm it, it plays particularly well in it where you might be doing some aggressive things and you get a blocker out of the way. It's also good in Azorius to slow your opponent down and leave a 1-4 back to block. It goes well in the 5-color deck, because you just need some ways to interact with your opponent and kind of slow them down and Dirtle a little bit. The, the card's just good. You can knock off enchantments that they've played on your creatures, like Arrest, which we've mentioned, and Stab Wound, which we'll get to. So there, there's a lot of flexibility in this card, and it, it's, it's something you want um, probably 2 or 3 of in your blue decks. Uh so so do not undervalue this just because you're like, oh, it should cost, you know, two and a blue and be a two-two. It's it's still an effect that you want. Um and the last blue card I wanted to mention, um, it's not like format defining or anything, but it's something you should be aware of is the Skyline Predator. This is four blue blue for a three-four flash flying.
1: That seems really good.
0: It is really good because you're the games don't close out so quickly in in most cases. That may change if you're playing against Ragtos, but usually you can get to six mana, ambush one of their creatures, and then start attacking for three, or have, you know, worst-case scenario, three-power flying that they weren't aware was was coming at them.
1: I mean, we've had a three-powered Flash Flyer in a couple of formats recently, and it's just always good. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's is very, very solid card, um, and it was six mana, right? So, um, I mean, it's a little more expensive than the one that we had in the the Gatewatch block, I believe. I think that was five mana for a three, 3-3, three, if I remember correctly. But that was a great card, and it often ambushed things in the mid to late game anyway. So this is just slightly better for slightly more cost. Um, I, I'm a big fan of this one, too.
0: Yeah, it was in Shadows, Stormbind Spirit or something like that.
1: All right. There have been a couple. There have been a couple. Yeah, sure. like
0: there's always one of these floating around. So just be aware that that's in the format, and it's a 3-4, not a 3-3. Right. A uh, couple key cards in black. Uh, again, not really a format-defining one, but one that you might look at initially and dismiss, uh, but it actually has a place in this format, is Dagger Drome Imp. This is one in a black for a 1-1 Flying Lifelink, which sounds pretty mediocre. Why, why would this be good?
1: Scavenge.
0: That's right. Pretty much the only deck that wants this is the Golgari deck. Uh, Because it's a nice evasive body with lifelink. It's not amazing on turn two, but you can play it and start getting in a couple points. And then later, after you've traded off some of your ground creatures uh, with scavenge, scavenge them onto this guy. And all of a sudden, you've got an evasive lifelinker, and that can be very difficult for your opponent to deal with. Uh, So if your opponent plays one of these and they're in black-green specifically, treat it as a real card and get it off the board if you can. Don't be too proud to trade your your 2-1 flyer for it or something like that. It's probably a bigger threat than you realize. Um, Next card that is is just a very powerful card is Dread Reveler. Uh, It's 2 in the block for a 2-3 with Unleash.
1: Unleash the Beast. Never blocking. Make it a 3-4 all day.
0: Yeah, it's a 3-mana 3-4. Like, I get excited about 3-mana 3-3s. This is a 3-4. It can just attack into more stuff.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, I mean, we like Thriving Rhino, which is basically what this is, because your Thriving Rhino rarely blocks and usually just smashes in for 3 damage on turn 4. This is basically the same thing. Um, and yeah, there's just no reason not to play this in your Rakdos deck.
0: I I even played it in Golgari. Like, the the card was just so good and so aggressively costed that I'd have Golgari decks with three of these and be happy about it. Um, so so don't look at this as a two-mana, two-three. Look at this as a, excuse me, a three-mana, two-three. Look at it as a three-mana, three-four that's going to be attacking. And it's going to be very good for you. Um, next up, Ogre Jailbreaker. This is another key piece of that Defender deck. This is a, a 3 and a black for a 4-4 four, four Defender. If you control a gate, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender, but it still has Defender.
1: So you can still get that synergy with your, your Defender Matters cards.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't mentioned the gates. Do you remember what the gates were?
1: Yeah, they were the mana fixing, the, the common lands in the format that came into play tapped. Um, they were paired with, uh, or every guild had one. Um, so mm-hmm. there's 5 in this one, 5 in, in Gate Crash. Um, and they were, you know, they were common fixing. They were, they were fairly decent.
0: Yeah. And that, that, that five color defender deck, which again, we'll break down for you. It'll be much easier after we've done green. Cause that's the key piece of it is playing a lot of those gates. So Ogre jailbreaker is just a four mana four, four in that deck. He's also fine in other black decks. If you have a couple gates or you're interested in being defensive, the two black decks that we have in this format in particular, in particular, aren't very defensive. So you want to make sure you have four or five gates before you start considering playing this as something that you want to attack with as opposed to just block with. Um, And the last black card I wanted to cover is is just a miserable one. It's Stab Wound.
1: Oh, it hurts. It hurts.
0: (laughs) It hurts so bad. It's two and a black for an aura. Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature gets neg-2, neg-2. At the beginning of the upkeep of Enchanted Creature's controller, that player loses two life.
1: Yeah, so it's just a slow bleed of, of life loss. Now, there were two ways you could play this. You could play it as an early removal in an aggressive deck and be happy with it, you know, basically dead weight. and Or you could play it on a creature that didn't necessarily die and it would sit there and drain your opponent for two every turn uh, and and you would also be happy with that as well.
0: Yeah, just remember when you go for that strategy, that is your finisher now, because it doesn't stop the creature from attacking or blocking. Um, I won a lot of games in Return to Ravnica block by playing this on an opponent's 3-3. They attacked me with it for a lot of turns trying to get me to kill it, and then once they started holding it holding it back to block, I couldn't attack into them, but the Staff wound will eventually drain them out. Uh, so if you're playing Rakdos and you have this on turn 3, don't be too afraid to get a 3-2 out of the way so you can attack. And also be aware that if you've got your opponent down to six with a stab wound in your deck, if you can just stick it and then not interact with that creature for three turns, you win the game.
1: Yeah, I, I remember once I was playing. I remember this very fondly, where uh, my opponent had to use removal on their stab wounded creature, and uh, in order to stay alive. And it was just that's just never a good feeling. So obviously that'll be rare, but um, there will be periods of time where your opponent will have to make very bad decisions to avoid dying to a stab wound.
0: Yeah, which is just a lot of power to place on a common. Um, So don't don't overlook this card. It is very powerful, and if you're playing black, you want it. And it's worth playing black because you opened one of these. So moving on to red, we mentioned Annihilating Fire earlier. Um, It's not better than Righteous Authority, but it's a very good card. Uh, One red red for an instant 3 damage to target creature or player. You can go to the face with this, and if you kill a creature with it, Exile it instead of uh, putting in the graveyard. So it's got a little additional flexibility against the Golgari deck because now they can't scavenge with it Um, So this is your red burn spell of the format Note as Dave mentioned it costs three So you're not going to be up on mana or getting a bargain when you kill something small with this But this is what we get. So this is what we got to use
1: Yeah, it was I remember it being decent um, You know not great, but I mean that's that's what we get that's what we get for removal in return to ravnica you get decent and not great generally yeah. speaking mm-hmm.
0: our next up is an uncommon blood fray giant two red red for a four three with trample i'm sold it also has unleash
1: wait so you can have a five four trample for four mana
0: correct it can't block but why would you ever block with that creature
1: yeah who cares that that yeah. seems incredibly
0: aggressive. <laughs> it is. It's just a stupid card. It can close out a game. It's not quite on the Renegade Freighter level, um, but it, it's close. This is this format's Renegade Freighter. It will close out a game very quickly by attacking with that Trample. We'll back it up with some combat tricks or removal, and uh, you've got a very powerful card here. It's also not completely dead if you're behind, because like a 4-mana 4-3 is just fine if you need to block something. So next up, uh, Gorehouse Chainwalker. This is not a complicated card, but it, it is what makes red aggro work in this format. Uh, it's one in red for a 2-1 with Unleash.
1: Very aggressive, because you're always playing it as a 3-2, I think.
0: Yeah, if, if the red deck is playing this, it's got to be playing it as a 3-2, and it's terrifying to be facing down a 3-2 uh, when, when you're just making you know your second land drop. Like It's basically, do you have a 2-drop? If you don't, you're taking 6-9 to nine damage from this.
1: So this makes your X4s or, or your 0-4 defenders kind of very, very good either out of the board or even main deck if you expect to be playing against the Rakdos deck.
0: Exactly. There's, there's even another 3-power Unleash creature that's even more scary than this one, if you can believe it. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and grab that one next. It's the Splatterthug, which is 2 and a red for a 2-2 two, two first strike with Unleash. So b- between that and the Gorehouse Chainwalker... You definitely need to have something with four toughness to be able to block these if you're planning on uh, taking your game a, a little bit longer because Ractos is going to try to close you out with these cards. Or is it? You can play these in an aggressive is it deck. Both of these are commons. You can usually get quite a few of them, uh, but they're high picks if you're wanting to be aggressive. Um, next up, we'll mention Lobber Crew. Um, this is this is a fun little card. It's two in a red for a zero four defender. You can tap it to deal one damage to your opponent and whenever you cast a multicolored spell, you untap it.
1: So it's Thermo-Alchemist, but for multicolored cards instead of instants and sorceries.
0: Correct. It does cost one extra colorless, but it gives you one extra uh, point of toughness. And we've just mentioned two 3-power creatures that you have to start blocking. Um, this is typically good in Is it specifically, although you can also play it in the Defender decks because it, it adds mana to your Axebane Guardians, um, as as well as blocking, as well as putting some, albeit small, but a realistic clock on your opponent. I played Thermo Alchemist Index that didn't have, you know, more than three or four instants of sorceries to untap it because it was just great. And Lumber Crew does the same thing.
1: But I mean, every deck is going to have a reasonable number of gold cards anyway, if you're drafting it correctly. So you're just, you're just getting bonus damage out of this Lobber Crew. And it, and it does help you get through that early to mid-game to cast your larger things as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a dual purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lobber Crew, especially in multiples. Yeah, and it'll let
0: you cast your Overloaded Spell. So I, I do think it's mostly an it card. I'm not really putting this in Rakdos very often. Um, but it, it, it's a good little card. Um, The next one I'm going to mention is Street Spasm. This is one of the overloaded uh, cards from is it? It's X in red for an instant deals X damage to target creature without flying that you don't control. So you've got an instant speed fireball for a creature without flying. In addition, you can overload it for XX red red. So getting it close to something like, um, what was it, Rolling Thunder that we saw in Tempest and then again in Oath?
1: Yeah, Rolling Thunder.
0: So it's that, but at instant speed. You can't hit flyers, but you can really mess up combat or your opponent trying to land an enchantment on their creature or a pump spell on their creature. This is a very strong removal, removal spell. Um, at Uncommon, you won't see it all the time, but I first pick this quite often. Uh, it goes just fine in Rakdos and just fine in Is it.
1: Yeah, instant speed, two-for-ones, three-for-ones is incredibly powerful in any magic set, so I, I, I can't wait to be to play, playing this card again.
0: Yeah, this 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 is good removal. Um it's also worth mentioning mentioning that traitorous instinct is in the format. Uh, this is three in red, gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap that creature, it gains plus two plus O in haste. I've killed people by casting this on my own creature just to get give something plus two plus O if that's what you need. I mean sometimes that's what you gotta do, but it's worth knowing that there's a playable act of treason that the aggro decks may have access to. So don't forget about that too. We've been teasing it the whole time. Let's get into the uh, green because the, the first card I want to talk about in green is the one that enables the, the dumbest deck in the format, but also one of the most fun, and it's Axe Guardian. This is 2 and a green for a zero three 3 Defender. It's amazing, right? You are right. <laughs> it, you, you want a little more. You tap it, add X mana in any combination of colors to your mana pool where X is the number of creatures with Defender you control. So if you have one, you can tap it for any color of mana. If you have another Defender, you can tap it for two colors of any mana. And gods forbid you have two ax Guardians, because now you have four mana of any color, because each one taps for two, plus you've had the three lands that you cast them with. So you can start casting seven drops as early as turn four.
1: So this is kind of the key card in your Defender deck. Um, because it enables ramp, it enables multicolor, plus their defenders if, if that's the shenanigans that you're trying to go for.
0: It lets you play green and splash other colors quite easily as well. So, like, it's okay to have one of these and a, a key rune to, to help you splash an off color card if that's what you want to do. But you combine this with his best friend, which we're going to talk about now, Gate Creeper Vine, which is one and a green for a zero-two 2 defender. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card or a gate card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. These two guys team up to make a lot of mana and fix a lot of mana, which is basically how the, the green deck works. You're looking to pick up the, the guardians early, the vines a little bit later, as many gates as you can get, and then just every powerful spell, not really even caring what color it is out of every pack that you see, because your, your mana is going to be good enough to resolve them.
1: Great. So, and and these are kind of the the only, really only two fixers outside of lands, right? Like, there's not really any other good fixers?
0: There are other fixers, but you've hit the nail on the head. There's not other good fixers. Um, So, like, I I remember there's something like search up three lands from your deck, and there was, like, mana bloom at rare. But these are the the two fixers that you're going to see day in and day out in this format. Okay. Centaur's Herald is another key green card if we're going to be Celestine-ing. Do you remember this one, Dave?
1: Yeah, I remember this one being actually one of my favorite cards um, because it was so easy to play. It was a, a one-drop, a single green, and it was an 0-1. doesn't seem great on the surface, but you could pay two and a green, sack it, and make a 3-3 centaur token. So, you know, if you played it on turn one, you were making a centaur on turn three or turn four if you didn't have uh, another card to fit in your curve, um, or you were playing it late just as a, as a format of 3-3, as a hill giant, as Travis would say. And... It, it was still good then, too. So it's kind of like, it helped fill out your curve really, really well, um, and then it played into those Populate Shenanigans if, if you were Selesnia. And you would even play it in a non Selesnia deck, because, you know, a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three, or a 4-mana 3-3 three, three is just fine, for the most part. Yeah, so,
0: so it, it was also something like, you don't want to first pick this, but if you see him coming around and you think Selesnia is open, this is a great card in the Silesnia deck, and a playable card if you're in the Golgari deck. Um, Next up, I wanted to mention this It's a combat trick, it's just one to be aware of. Um, Savage Surge. This is one in a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Untap that creature. I'm mentioning this because it's actually very hard to play around. If they're attacking you, and you would go to block, and a Savage Surge is going to get you, and you choose not to block, they just don't cast it. And now if you attack in, they've still got the Savage Surge, they can untap their dude and block your dude. So the, the only reason to play around it in that scenario is if you have instant speed removal and you can blow them out with it. Otherwise, you normally just want to block, let them use the trick, and get it over with because it's going to stick there and haunt you the whole time. Um, Giant Growth is also in the format, uh, one green for plus three, plus three. So those are kind of the two combat tricks from green to be aware of. All right, so that'll take us into some of the multicolor and artifact cards that are worth being aware of. Um, first one I'll mention is Augur Spree. This is one black-red for an instant... Target creature gets +4, -4 four, four until end of turn. You're not often using this as a combat trick. You're more often using this as a removal spell uh, for their X4. Uh, but this is this is the defining instant speed removal spell of the format. It, it's just good.
1: Yeah. Same. I remember, it gets rid of pretty much everything that you care about for the most part, and it's super cheap. It's yeah. It's just an insane reason to play Rakdos.
0: Yeah, and it's something that you can splash in your Defender deck, like if you've got enough Axebane Guardians. This is just like the removal spell um, of the set. Next up, I'll mention Call of the Conclave. This is a uh, sorcery for green-white. Put a 3-3 green Centaur token onto the battlefield.
1: Right, 2-mana, 3-3, three, three, and it was usually fairly easy to cast. Um, mm-hmm. like, like, your Selesnya deck was usually split fairly evenly between green and white, Maybe um, had a gate or two, if you're lucky. Yeah, it was usually turn two or turn three play, and when you did play it on turn two, it felt so good.
0: It did, and like you want the centaurs anyway, so you can populate with them. Like This this was aggressive enough to be standard playable at, at the time, and it's just a very solid card, specifically for Selesnia. Obviously, this is not one that you're splashing anywhere else, because you want to have the ability to play it on turn two, but it, it's a very powerful card. Um, I selected Is It Charm as the charm to talk about, Although we can kind of talk about all the charms as well, is um, it Charm is an instant for blue and red, and you choose one counter-target non-creature spell unless its controller pays two. So it's kind of like a mana league negate hybrid. Is it Charm deals two damage to target creature, or draw two cards then discard two cards. So there's a lot of flexibility in all the Charms, they all have three modes to choose from. Is it Charm was one of the better ones, um, because you could counter a spell, or burn a creature out of the way, you very rarely used the looting. I think all of the Charms were main deckable, uh, with the exception of the Raktos Charm,
1: Yeah, Rakdos was a weird one, because I think it, it, if I remember correctly, it had a mode that did damage based on the number of creatures on board, but the other two modes I don't think were very useful. I I don't have it on my screen here, but um, generally speaking, the modal spells are all very flexible, and at the very least they'll have some kind of sideboard application, but the ones that were removal uh, were probably the better ones. So I think the Azurius charm had uh, a bounce mode, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it had a life link mode, which is very good as well. But the third mode, the draw card, was you know not really limited, more standard playable. Um, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you know the the charms are have one or two reasonable, reasonably good modes, and a third not so great mode most of the time.
0: Cor- correct. So evaluate those, look at them. Most of the charms are going to be good. Again, the the Raktos one I wanted my sideboard. If I'm in the guild, I, I, the other charms I remember just putting in the deck and usually being able to find a use for them. So it's kind of like you figure out you're in the guild, then you take the Charms. Um, It's worth mentioning too, all of the guild mages are fantastic. They range from the Selesnya guild mage being like a a legitimate bomb in the format. like It's head and shoulders above the others. Um, It starts making centaur tokens and then has the ability to populate. But all of the guild mages are good, they have multiple abilities. They're particularly good in the guild that they're for, so if you get a lot of mana you can activate them multiple times. But they all share something in common. They require one mana of each of the guild's colors. So the Karazda guild mage is the Golgari one, for example. It's black, green, for a 2-2. So that's kind of the same between all of them. And then each of the guild mage has two activated abilities. This one, for example, is uh, colorless green-black. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains Intimidate until end of turn. So that can let you force through damage. It also has two black-green Sacrifice a Non-Token, get uh, X11 tokens where X is the sacrificed creature's toughness. So if you've got something under an arrest or a stab wound, you can sack it. or if you've just got a big giant creature and you want to turn it into one ones to swarm the board, you can do that. So there's a lot of flexibility and power in each of the guild mages. Um, these are reasons to go into a particular guild if you open one of these. And if you open a Celestnia guild mage, please, for the love of the gods, take it. It's one of the best cards in the format.
1: Yeah, that's the one that for four mana makes a three three, which is great. We were talking about the um, the one the earlier that is basically four mana make a three three, but this is repeatable, and then six mana to populate. And mm-hmm. you know, if once once that gets on the board and gets out of control, it there's no stopping it. Um, the the key thing to keep keep in mind of the guild mages is that you know their inevitability and their late game mana sinks. So Mm -hmm. I would not fault anyone for sandbagging these. I wouldn't, like, you know... You you can play them on turn two as a a 2-2 and just fine, but they are going to eat removal fairly frequently um at least mid to late game so hmm. you can sandbag it and when your opponent's kind of out of removal but i wouldn't fault you for playing them early and it's actually some of them do have early good uh or, or good early game abilities as well i believe the rakdos one yeah was really good right the rakdos one was minus one minus one to a blocking creature and it was really cheap was it two or three mana to to, to activate but it just made combat so bad for your opponent usually so you know. Your mileage may vary you want to make the, the correct decision where you're at in the game um, but they're they're generally good early um, and very good late and they yeah. generally apply to the strategy of the guild so the the blue white one can give things flying and can also detain things repeatable which is kind of insane um, and the is it one um, I believe was a loot and I don't remember what the second do you remember have that one up actually uh,
0: you could copy spells if you could pay extra mana I don't remember here it is. Uh, yeah, two blue-red, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, choose new targets for it. Right. So you, you could you could loot for three mana, or you could copy spells for four mana. And like Dave's saying, they're flexible cards by being a 2-2. Two, two. They can attack and block, and don't be too proud to, you know, if you have to, trade one for, you know, the 3-2 that's going to kill you if you're sitting there with a handful of lands and five drops. But they are very. all of the guild mages are very good late. Uh, Rakdos is, is the one that particularly wants to get in and start beating early. Uh, next card we've got to take a look at is the Liev Sky Knight. This is kind of the flagship card uh, for Azorius at Uncommon. Let me get this guy tracked down here. They're hard to catch because they're flyers. Uh, it's one blue-white for a 3-1 flyer, which is already decent stats, like three power and evasion, we're good to go. When it enters the battlefield, detain a non-land permanent opponent controls.
1: Yeah, so, again, we see this Detain stapled onto a creature, and the upside of this one is that, you know, you can play it on the defensive uh, to take a turn uh, off of taking damage. You can also play it on the offensive. It's a very good tempo play that way as well. You know, if you're playing this on turn 3, maybe you can swing in with a 2-2, get a couple extra points of damage, but even if you're playing it on turn 4 or turn 5 and your opponent doesn't have good blocks... Um, you know, if, if, one of, if one of their creatures can't block, you can generally swing in for a bunch of damage with the Detain. So just having random Detain on a very good creature is, is pure upside.
0: Often what would happen with this card is you play a Grizzly Bear, they play a Grizzly Bear. You play this and get in for two, they're now at 18, which is a multiple of three, and this will eventually get them. Um, there's also tons of other flyers in blue-white, like that's their strategy. It, it's easy to deal with, like if they've got a removal spell, they're gonna point it at this. But they have to have a removal spell, or this will eventually kill them. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's a strong card for that, that color pair. There's an even better card for that color pair, which is kind of an uncommon bomb that, that you want to be aware of that exists in this, this format, and that's Skymark Rock. Uh, first picked many of these we will do again. Two white-blue for a 3-3 flyer. Sold.
1: 100%. I love that card.
0: That's good enough. When it attacks, you may return target creature defending player controls with toughness, two or less, to its owner's hand.
1: So you're generally bouncing something.
0: You're generally bouncing something, and it's, it's not casting cost. So if they have like a, you know, three mana, three two, you can bounce that. If they're playing any sort of little stuff, you can bounce that. And Selesnia really hates it when you bounce their bird tokens and their knight tokens, which you can totally do with this. Yeah,
1: I remember this card being very, very good. In fact, I, I think I even tried to play it in standard when I was brewing my own terrible standard decks, and yeah. uh, and I even loved it there. So,
0: yeah, this is this is just a very powerful card. Um, you, if you open one of these, it's not it's almost as good as this Lesnia Guildmage. Like if those two are in the same pack, I'm probably going to time out thinking about which I should take. <laughs> um, next up is Teleportal. I just use this as an example of a card to be aware of because it's quite often how is it wins a game. Uh, it's blue and a red for sorcery. Target creature you control gets plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn and is unblockable. You can also overload it for 3 blue-red. So 5 mana, your team gets plus 1, plus 0 and is unblockable. <laughs> That'll take care of a board stall.
1: Yeah, and you don't even, like... You know, you, you get a, a few points of damage through early, so generally speaking, you only need to do 12, 14 maximum with this and to win the game usually, so it's pretty easy to just play out your board, um, stall for a few turns, top deck this, and, and win the game. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll come out of nowhere, and it will beat you, and you will be very sad when you do it, or when you get beat by it. You'll be happy when you do it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's good when you do it, bad when your opponent does. But a a lot of games you thought you were winning, uh, you lose because of Teleportal, and the reverse is true, too. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this board, so, oh, here we go, I win. Um, I wanted to mention Frostburn Weird, uh, which is uh, an example of hybrid mana. There's a few cards like this in this set. Uh, This is a two-mana, one-four. You can give it plus one, minus one for a mana... To cast it, you either need two blue, two blue, two red, or any combination thereof. So I can cast it for blue-blue, red-red, or blue-red.
1: Right, and the ability was the same too, right? I think it was just blue or red? Correct.
0: So these hybrid cards, actually, when we go back to the draft section, keep you more open than picking a, a single color card, because if I, I pick something like Frostburn Weird, I can put it in my it deck, where it's at its best. I can also put it in a Rakdos deck... Um, where I'm just playing it for red-red. I could also put it in an Azorius deck, where I'm playing it for blue-blue. So these actually go in more decks than any others. Um, This guy's a great blocker, and you've also got the Threat of Activation going, where if you attack with it, your opponent may not be able to block. You can dump as much mana as you want to in it, and then still cast your spells with the leftovers. So any time you have a, a card like this where you can spend extra mana, it's typically pretty good. Um, there's additional other cards that are hybrid mana. so value those a little higher than you might, um, again because of their flexibility. But this is one that was particularly annoying. and I, I did play it in Is it? I did play it in Rakdos. It, it's a strong card.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the hybrid mana. it, it um, they're generally a little less powerful than the gold cards, but that is because they go into multiple multiple decks. Um, and actually, of note as well, there's also creatures and uh, I believe creatures that, um, are a main color to cast and then an off color to activate an activated ability. Um, mm-hmm. Those are, you know, well, you might consider those hybrid cards or, 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 or whatever, they are generally gold cards, but they're kind yeah. of a fail-safe if you need a, like, random creature um, and because you're, you're short on playables. Um, so you don't necessarily have to worry about the activated ability, but um, I just wanted to kind of point those out as well, because there are a few of those. There's a cycle of those in the, in the format as well. So um, these are way more flexible. Gold cards are, are still flexible, and then the one-color cards like we talked about are not flexible at all when you're drafting.
0: Yeah, or at least not as flexible as you're used
1: to. Exactly.
0: Um, another key card or card type to talk about to, to get ready for Return to Ravnica are the key runes. This is a cycle. There's one for each of the guilds. I'll use the Azorius key rune as an example. Uh, it's 3 mana for an artifact. You can tap it to add blue or white to your mana pool. All of the key runes do that. So the Raktos is 3 mana for an artifact. You can tap it to add red or black to your mana pool. Uh, all of them also have an activated ability. In the case of Azorius key rune, you can pay blue and a white and turn it into a 2-2 white and blue bird artifact creature token with flying until end of turn. So basically, all of these are artifacts that you can use to ramp slash fix, and then after you've used that effect of it, you can sink some mana into them to attack or block with them. You kind of need these in a deck that wants the ramp slash the fixing, and then also has enough fixing to be able to activate them later. So if you're just looking for fixing, the gates are usually better, but if you've got some high casting cost stuff, putting a key rune or two in your deck, isn't bad, and they, they do at least have that flexibility over normal mana rocks that once you flood it out or you've reached the light game, you can turn them into a creature and do something with them.
1: Yeah, if you're just using them to splash, it's harder to be able to activate them as a creature because obviously, like, if that's your only source of the color to activate then you cannot make a useful creature after you've tapped it for mana. So it's something to keep in mind there. Um, but yeah, ramp and fixing um, is great, and especially if you need it in this format. So, But if you end up just playing like a random three-color deck even, because you have a lot of gates, uh, Kiruns I think are very good in that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. There's some flexibility there, but you don't need to like super prioritize these. Um, so that, that kind of gets us through most of the cards to be aware of. There's also two fringe decks, uh, besides the five-color Defender deck I've mentioned a few times, that I, I think are worth going over. Um, there is a mill deck in this format. I'm not saying you should go for this, but I'll admit that I have gone for it, and it feels so good when you win. So th- there's a trick to it. The, it's a two-card combo, and you need multiple copies of the first one, which is Chronic Flooding. This is one in a blue for an enchantment or an enchant land, Whenever Enchanted Land becomes tapped, its controller puts the top three cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Now I can imagine what you're thinking. It's going to be quite difficult to mill your opponent out when you enchant their land with this, right?
1: Right, because they don't have to tap it.
0: Yeah, they don't have to tap it or do anything. But the card it combos with is Psychic Spiral, which is four and a blue for an instant. Shuffle all all cards from your graveyard into your library. Target player puts that many cards from the top of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So this one's an uncommon. You take this one first, you wheel the Chronic Floodings. you cast the Chronic Flooding on your own land, mill yourself like crazy if you've already drawn your Psychic Spiral, or wait until you draw it and then mill yourself like crazy. There's also Codex Shredder, which can go in this deck. It's an artifact for one mana. You can mill, mill either player... Um, or spend five mana and sacrifice it to get a card back from your graveyard. So if you've got a Codex Shredder in play, you can go nuts. But the idea is you mill yourself almost all the way out, and then cast Psychic Spiral to mill your opponent out all in one turn.
1: So you Fireball their deck, essentially, is what you're saying.
0: That is basically what you're doing, yes. Now, that's a lot of cards that don't attack or block. (laughs) So this is a deck that you're very interested in getting some 0-4s in. There's also, I think it's a 0-6 Flying Defender, Uh, So you want a lot of defensive creatures to be able to clog things down, some removal, some detain, while you're just kind of dirtling around and trying to set up this combo. Rakdos will punish you, but the other decks are generally slow enough that you can actually pull this off. I would call going in the guilds a Tier 1 deck, going for the Bane Guardian 5-color deck a Tier 1 deck. This is probably Tier 2, but it's a hell of a lot of fun when it works. And then the last one is that I did find one case where you could go outside of the normal guilds and draft a red-white deck, uh, which is normally Boros. That's not a guild here, but there's enough... David mentioned an enchantment sub-theme earlier. One of the big themes for that is Ethereal Armor, which is a one-mana enchantment. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control and has First Strike. If you take a lot of the, the red and white one-drops and two-drops, and then a lot of the creature auras, and can get three to four of these Ethereal Armors... Another card that goes really well in it is Az- Azorius Arrester, which is one in a white for a two-one uh, that detains. You can force a lot of damage very quickly. I would call this a tier three deck. People bumped into it after we drafted the format for you know months, and we're really ready for gate crash, which is really why I think you know people started going for it. Uh, but it, it can be very aggressive and present big threats very quickly. It's kind of like Boggles, but without hexproof. So I, I don't think it's super good. But I would warn you, if you see an opponent playing Boros in in this format where it's not supported, don't assume they're an idiot. They may be going for this strategy and have a very quick start.
1: Right, but if they're playing the other four color combinations that are not guilds, you can generally assume that they're not averse in the format (laughs) or that their deck is terrible, is that correct?
0: I always assume that my opponent knows what they're doing, but this is the one case where you can probably say if if they're trying to play green-red beats in this format, they're doing it wrong.
1: Okay. Confirmed. Green, red beats, wrong.
0: Green, red beats, not the way you want to go. So that'll wrap us up for a primer for uh, Return to Ravnica. Uh, Next up, we're going to head over to Gatecrash, and I've got a pack one, pick one there for you as well.
1: Awesome. I look forward to it. Astute listeners of the podcast may notice an increase in audio quality for this portion. You see, we recorded in two sections, and we were not impressed with the quality of the first section, so we switched software for the second session. So it is not your device, it is us, and we sound a lot better. Um, that being said, we're going to open up the gatecrash section with, what do you have for us, Travis?
0: Well, I've got a pack one, pick one. But before we get started there, I, I feel that we would be doing a disservice to our listeners if we did not talk about one specific rare from Return to Ravnica.
1: Is it a high-quality rare, just like the audio?
0: It is a high-quality rare, like the audio. In fact, I would say not that we were disappointed with the quality of the first half, that we are more impressed with the quality of the second half. You see what I did
1: there? I do see what you did there, and it's just like this card. It's not like that there aren't good cards in Return to Ravnica. It's just that there is one good card that is heads and shoulders above the rest.
0: That card that we're speaking of, for those of you who have played, is indeed Pack Rat. You may have heard stories about Pack Rat. If you did not play Return to Ravnica block, um, specifically just Return to Ravnica, you don't know how busted this card is. It is terrible. It it was the biggest limited mistake that has ever been made. I I want to warn you about this card, both A, how how good it is, as in if you are solidly in a not black color pair, like let's say we're drafting Azorius in pack one and you open Pack Rat, all of a sudden you're black. It's that good. You take it and force black and just make it work because it's going to be fine. I heard rumors, and I believe this story was true, that somebody day two to GP with a deck that was two pack rats and 38 swamps. (laughs) I I spent a good solid 20 minutes on Google trying to find a report of that, and it was just so old I couldn't dig it up. Um, But the the card is busted. The only way, the, the reason why it's busted is... Uh, specifically turn two on the play, there's very few removal spells that can stop it before you can make another copy of it. The only time I can recall beating a turn two pack rat when someone else casts it on the play is when they did anything else besides activate it. So I want to tell you if you have a pack rat and you have it in play, don't cast any other spells, don't do anything else, just activate it and you're 90% to win that game.
1: Yeah, if you have a 3-drop, it is better to pay 3-mana and discard your 3-drop to make a Pack Rat at the end of your opponent's next turn so that you still have a Pack Rat in play when it comes around to your 4-drop your uh, spot.
0: Yeah, the, the card's just that broken. So if you see a Pack Rat, take it... Um, it like I said, pack two, you open pack rat, all of a sudden you're black. That's all I have to say about it. I don't, I don't want to grumble too much. The card's busted. It's not fun. But also, make sure if you have one that you're going to go ahead and win the game with it so you can get on to the next draft.
1: <laughs> it's very fun to play, not very fun to play against.
0: <laughs> I don't think anybody's having fun there, personally. Yeah, maybe. Pack but, rat's
1: having a lot of fun.
0: The pack rat's having fun. There you go. Well, let's move along to our gate crash pack one, pick one. So we've got uh, the pack, we fanned out all the cards, and we're between two cards. One is our rare, Luminate Primordial, five white, white. When Luminate Primordial enters the battlefield, for each opponent exile up to one target creature that player controls, that player gains life equal to its power. Uh, it's also a five, seven vigilance, I believe, creature. So this is a ginormous dude that swords to plowshares. One of those their guys when it comes into
1: play. Sweet, I can dig it. What's the uh, What's the card it's up against?
0: Mugging, red, sorcery deals two damage to target creature. That creature can't block this turn.
1: Sorcery, you say?
0: Well, sorcery. It's not instant speed. It's <clears> a <throat> so sorcery see, speed shock.
1: <laughs> I have played enough uh, gate crash to know that you are trying to trick me again into taking the rare. <laughs> uh, no, the reason we want to take uh, mugging here is, uh, and I think we're going to get into it quite a bit here, is that um, r- early removal is is A, very important in a very fast set like Gatecrash, and B, in red, which is the more aggressive color, uh, or has the most aggressive color pairs in Gatecrash, uh, you want to be removing your opponent's creatures as well as making their large things not able to block. So, Um, and Luminate Primordial is way too slow for this format. So I do know enough that you cannot trick me, (laughs) and I will take the mugging, um, but... I would probably argue that there's probably a better card in the pack to take over the Primordial, so uh, <laughs> ah. I, I, I kind of I kinda saw through your BS on this one, but no, Mugging is a great card um, in, in any red-based aggressive deck, which there are quite a few of in this format.
0: Very well done, Dave. You have made the correct choice, and yes, you're right. The off-color basic land is probably better than the Primordial. The Primordials are secretly cards that are in this pack for when we begin drafting them with Dragon's Maze. And I'll, I'll prep you guys a little bit for that towards the end of this podcast. But you're, you're not realistically resolving 7-drops at all in this format. Um, so we'll get to exactly why here in a minute talking about the guilds. I'll remind you as we go through this. You can kind of forget everything we talked about and Return to Ravnica because this is drafted separately. But do remember that we're still drafting guilds, not colors. And there's still only five of them. They're not the same five that we had before. But you're not going to draft an Azorius deck in this format. Um, you're going to draft one of the five guilds that are here. So bear in mind all of that within the drafting. But let's go through these. We'll talk about their mechanics and what they're wanting to do. And then we'll explain why this format is so fast. I think it'll actually make sense. Uh, so first up is Orzov. This is the Black-White guild. Their mechanic is Extort. This comes stapled to creatures, enchantments, um. I think that was it for the most part, but you'll find this on some of those cards. And what it does is, whenever you cast another spell, you may play a black or a white. If you do, it drains your opponent for one life.
1: Yeah, Extort was one of my favorite mechanics from the set. Um, And uh, especially in... um... Uh, in, in an aggressive deck or even in a controlly deck, it actually worked in a lot of different styles of deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you get damage in early and then extort is a really good finisher. It kind of gives you that extended uh, reach, that extension to go out and hit your opponent. Um, it also helps stabilize you against aggressive decks. Um, the tricky part about playing extort is when do, you, when do you line up to pay the extort cost? And when do you kind of just run your creatures and spells out on curve? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the skilled decision you need to make in that Um, But if you can get a couple of extra points with Extort, uh, it can be the difference in a lot of matchups.
0: Very well said, and and that is basically the game plan of this deck. Uh, Get in some early damage, stabilize, and then use a flyer, drain them to kill them. Uh, Demir is the blue-black pair. Their mechanic is Cypher. You'll find Cypher on spells. When you cast this spell, exile it and encode it on a creature you control. When this creature deals combat damage to an opponent, you may cast the encoded spell without paying its mana cost. When you do that, the spell stays encoded on it. So if you can get some evasive creatures, encode a cool spell on it, and continue to connect, you get to cast that spell for free every turn. Um, The basic strategy for Demir is it's a little bit slower, a little bit more controlling deck. They're going to use evasion, unblockable dudes, some solid um, removal... And then try to staple these encode, uh, these cypher spells on something so that they can keep casting them. Many of the successful demir decks I had also included an extort creature or two, so that as you're casting these encoded copies, you're draining your opponent for one, two, or three at a time because they're cast for free, so you've got all this extra mana left over.
1: Yeah, the I think one thing to note uh, with the cipher spells is they were slightly overcosted than their non-cipher equivalent one would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have kind of like you're paying more for the spell, so you want to make sure you're getting the value out of it. You want to make sure that you're stapling it to a creature that has evasion. Um, and I am not too ashamed to admit that I never actually cast a spell with cipher in this format. Yeah, mostly because I didn't draft it a ton. I was still new to the game. Um, I played maybe like five or six sealed events, a couple of pre-releases and maybe a draft or two, Um, but I just couldn't ever find a deck that worked for it. I found it very difficult to kind of pull together and I just ended up playing creature based decks um, like, you know, the more aggressive style decks, the Boros deck, the Gruul deck, the Simic deck more than the Demir deck. So I never really got an opportunity to play Cypher. If you do not have evasive creatures, I would say that you probably are not going to get much value out of your Cypher cards.
0: Yeah, I I actually think that Demir was one of the weak. It was the weakest guild out of this batch. We don't need to pull punches with it. However, having said that, it it reminds me a little bit of green in battle for Zendikar. If I sit down against an opponent who I know is a good player and they're playing a green deck in BfZ, I'm legitimately scared because there's some really good cards that will put you into green in BfZ. And if you're a good player, you'll recognize that and play it. So maybe one out of 10 or 12 drafts that you do, you should be drafting Demir because you've got some of those amazing rares that make it work. Or you manage to pick up some of the unblockable rogues and the cool cypher spells and a Basilica Screecher and these combination of things to pull it off. But again, you're not often playing Demir and I think it really only supports one and a half people at the table and you're still fighting with Orzhov for all the, the extort guys. So I'll tell you how to draft Demir and we'll get to that, but do be aware it's one of the weaker guilds. Um, up next is Gruul. This is the Red-Green Guild. Their mechanic is Blood Rush. It'll This comes on creatures. It'll say an amount of mana on the card that'll let you discard this creature card and then give target attacking creature plus X plus X where X is the discarded creature's power. And sometimes you'll get something else too. Like quite often a trampling creature would bestow trample with this as well or first strike as well. Basically, what this means is a lot of the Gruul cards are creatures and combat tricks. So, your deck can legitimately be 15 creatures and 10 combat tricks at the same time.
1: It's important to note uh, that you mentioned it, but uh, people that aren't familiar with the set might not realize that it is only on attacking creatures.
0: Correct. Uh, It's also not a spell, if I remember it correctly. Like, can these be countered, or am I misremembering that?
1: Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I want to say it's just an ability. We should have looked that up before we started, but I think it's just an ability. You're not actually casting the spell, so um, so I don't think it can be countered.
0: Not 100% certain on that. We'll, we'll check it and maybe leave that in some show notes or something, because that, that would be worth knowing for sure. But mm-hmm. basically, the cool part of this mechanic is all of your, your dudes are combat tricks, so this deck is going to win by attacking and then attacking some more and then casting some combat tricks and killing you.
1: And there were some really, really good Blood Rush cards um, that, I think there was a rare that gave Double Strike, and there was a, a an uncommon, I think it was an uncommon, uh, Gorklan Trampler? No. Clan Rampager. Gl- there you go. Um, that gave it Trample. And that one is actually really cheap. So a lot of these uh, Blood Rush cards fit in well early because you can play them on curve, and they fit in well late because they're actually cheap to Blood Rush for the most part. So... Um, you can sneak through those extra points of damage and I remember a lot of times some of the difficult de- decision points were do I blood rush or do I play this as a creature because the creatures were that good in a lot of cases
0: it's, it's true and it was miserable to play against this deck because you're like well if I block they're just going to blood rush so I'm not going to block and then you don't block and then they just cast the creature anyway and you're like oh they got me yeah So
1: you're, you're, getting, you're getting one for one to lot and your opponent is still going to have a board when you don't
0: yep there you go uh boros is our next guild this is the red white guild dave just made fists in the air the symbol of boros uh, their mechanic is battalion which is basically you get some kind of bonus when you attack with three creatures it'll tell you on the card what the bonus is it may be that one of your cre- your opponent's creatures can't block it may be that you get to ping one of their creatures something like that
1: yeah battalion is great um plays really well with haste if you can sneak out uh like a one drop two drop and a three drop haste or two three four haste Um, You can get instant Battalion, just add water and and swing for a bunch. There's a couple of really, really good, really aggressive cards. Didn't block very well, but once you got them Battalion and they started attacking through, it was a nightmare. Um, There was... Boros was just insane and Battalion made it more so. Um, It's stapled on, and I think the effect is different on most cards. Like, you're not going to see Battalion that's the same on a lot of different cards. You're going to get a wide variety of skills, Um, But they all play really, really well. And if you're in a Boros aggressive deck, you kind of want everything that says Battalion and you want to be turning your guys sideways. Yep, there you go.
0: Uh, Last guild for this set is Simic. This is the green-blue guild. Their mechanic is Evolve. Evolve is whenever another creature enters the battlefield, if it has greater power or toughness than this one, put a plus one, plus one counter on your creature. So Evolve is encouraging you to curve out With creatures that have lopsided power and toughness so something like there was a 1-3 i can remember there was a blue creature and you could pump it for like a green and a colorless but you were happy to have a 1-3 because its butt was big enough to pump everything else on your evolve side so you'll you'll see some kind of lopsided creatures but basically what this deck is encouraging you to do is curve out with evolve creatures Play a 1-drop with Evolve, a 2-drop with Evolve that grows that so you can attack with it. Then play a 3-drop with Evolve that's going to grow both of those and you can attack further.
1: Yeah, this was probably my favorite color combo, my favorite guild to play when I was new um, because it was very simple. Like, it was very straightforward. Uh, you were just playing your guys and making bigger guys, and there were some really cool evolved creatures, uh, especially in the rare slot. But even in the common and uncommon slot, there were some really cool evolved creatures that you could um, build your deck around and plan. And the interesting decision points were, what order do I play my creatures in to maximize my evolved value? So um, easy deck to play, but there, it is still challenging in a way of, in, when it comes to sequencing. But most of the time you can just run your dudes out and you'll have these massive, you know, 4-2 flyers or whatever um, at, at some point in the game. And uh, you can kind of roll your opponent with just plus one, plus one counter value.
0: Yeah. So after talking about the guilds for a minute, this brings us to why the set was so much more aggressive than Return to Ravnica and why basically nobody was ready for it in the beginning. In Return to Ravnica Draft, you had one aggressive deck that was exactly Raktos. Everybody else was kind of mid-range to slow, doing their thing. Here, we have two two decks that are very aggressive. Gruul and Boros are definitely attacking you with two drops. Simic, at least half of the time, is a curve-out aggressive deck and the orzov deck is still playing some of the battalion creatures that were meant for boros and then kill, and they don't have to get you they don't have to deal 20 points of damage to you with their creatures because they're going to deal the last 5 to 10 with extort. So when when you look at it that way instead of, you know, five of the decks, four of them being mid-range decks and one being aggressive, this is almost a solid 3 out of the 5 that are aggressive if you count the half of Simic and the half of orzov. And basically what that means is your deck needs to be warped towards having a lot of two drops or you'll just get run over. Now, that may not bear out as we're doing flashback drafts, but if there's one person in the draft who understands that and gets that aggressive Boros deck, they're going to win. So I'm not saying you're going to play against people who are aggressive every time. You may find a slow controlling Orzov deck or the guy who did Demir, or something like that. But generally speaking, this format was defined... Um, by a, aggressive speed of these decks. And I'll also mention, just to kind of reiterate that I know what I'm talking about, uh, this was, uh, prior to Shadows over Innistrad, the highest my limited rating had ever been on Magic Online. Uh, it was up to 1950 at one point, where I was just grinding Gatecrash drafts. And it, like this is how you have to do it. You have to respect how fast this format is.
1: Yeah, and I guess with, the, with draft leagues, if you play Magic Online... Oh, I guess, sorry, these won't be draft leagues, will they? Will they be just be a regular... Regular queues? I don't
0: think we've got that information yet because we're reporting this a little bit in advance. They've done some leagues where they and like they have single elimination leagues, but I haven't gotten the word on these yet. I okay. really hope they're leagues. That would be great because I plan to stream the hell out of these.
1: <laughs> if they are leagues, then you can probably expect to see the Boros and Gruel uh, decks in round two, assuming you win round one. They yeah, will be in, <laughs> in, they will be more often in the undefeated bracket. But if you're just in a in a in a in an eight man pod, um, you know you you may or may not run to it in, in run into it in round one. So but yeah there will be um, people that come back to the format that will know this hands down and will will roll you if you draft a dirtily slow demure deck that doesn't have any direction. Yeah. So
0: just just be aware this is this is a fast format. All right. Without further ado, let us jump into some of the key cards from each of the colors as well as the multicolor cards and kind of get you prepped for this as well. Uh, we'll start off with white. So first white card I think that's worth mentioning is Basilica Guards. This is two and a white for a 1-4 Human Soldier with Defender and Extort.
1: That's it. So this kind of is great to defend against those aggressive decks, and it has Extort stapled onto it, which means that it can gain you life if you have been beaten down a little bit by those aggressive decks. Um I, I, I'm a big fan of this card. I remember playing this actually quite a bit in um any non-Boros white-based deck, I guess. So And what deck um, any, would that be? That would be Orzov. Exactly. And the other one was oh yes, it's just Orzov, you're right. There's only the, the two guilds. So I guess it was just Orzov that I was playing it in.
0: Yep. And that's the best part about this card is the Boros deck doesn't want it. So if you're the Orzov deck, you are literally the only person at the table that wants this card. Because it, it, white can only pair with black or red, and Boros is not interested in this at all. So, if you're Orzov, you don't have to take this early. There's a, another, uh, it's a, a 2 2 bear, Syndic of Tithes with Extort on it. Boros is very interested in that card. So, you need to pick that one more early, uh, maybe before you know whether you're Boros or Orzov. But once you're Orzov, you can pick these guys up late. They're a great finisher, and they're great at stopping
1: that early aggression. It's funny that you call a defender, a 1-4 defender, a great finisher, but yeah, yeah. That, that is gate crash. <laughs> That's exactly
0: what it is. Go figure. <laughs> uh, next up is a, a card that looks a bit innocuous, and I, I'm not saying you, shouldn't, you should take these super early, but you need to be aware that this is an actual card. Court Street Denison. Two and a white for a human soldier, 2-2. Whenever another white creature enters the battlefield under your control, tap target creature and opponent controls. You, you
1: remember these destroying you? I remember playing with them um, a fair bit. They're really good obviously if you're if you're turning your creatures sideways and you know it's magic in you know the year 2012 or 2013 or whatever this was. Um, you are turning creatures sideways, right? So mm. um, you want to be proactive with this. obviously it's not a great defender. It does, up, it does give you battalion count, right? You don't mind throwing it away if you have to, but it gives you that extra utility of, of removing a blocker when you're turning all your dudes sideways. And um, yeah, like you say, don't take it early, but be aware that you want to try to pick these up on the wheel.
0: Yep. And it's another card, much like the Basilica Guards, that Orzov doesn't want this. This is for your Boro stack So if you're looking to be to attack, this is something that's going to enable you to do
1: that. Did these cards have watermarks on them, do you remember? Like, not the gold cards, but the the, the monocolored cards. Do you remember if they had, like, the, the guild symbols on them when they were clearly intended for one guild or another? I if, don't remember. If they
0: had the guild mechanic, they did. Some right. of the ones that, that didn't have the guild mechanic did not. Cause there was like a little sub theme about the gateless people in the story. And I don't really remember what it was, but like there were some unaligned things. And I think like this Denison was one of them as an example, but it's still, it still, it only goes in the Boros deck. Orzov doesn't want this. Right. Um, next white card is daring skyjack one and a white for a three, one human knight battalion. It's flying
1: it's a 312 drop that it probably has flying a lot of the time when you're attacking. It's I love this card so much. I would play a deck that was just these cards.
0: I it was not uncommon to trigger battalion for me with three of these. Yeah. Now there were and other
1: they just all fly. Like
0: they, and you're just dead. You are just dead. The, take, this take is nine a, in the air. Yes, this is an early pick. Um it it also the Orzov deck is interested in this if for no other reason than to block the opponent's Skyjacks before they get Battalion going. Um, So this is a high pick for white. Um, Next up is just one to remember, because this card is kind of stupid. Holy Mantle, two white-white for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from creatures.
1: Yeah, it's worth getting two-for-one for, for because you can shut your opponent down entirely, or you can just roll your opponent over very, very quickly with this card.
0: Mm -hmm. So... Just be aware that that's in the format, and it, it does what it says on the 10. It's actually quite good. Uh, I mentioned this guy earlier, Syndic of Tithes, 1 and a white for a 2-2 with Extort. Th- this is another very high pick for both Boros and Orzov. Boros is interested in it because it's, it's a 2-drop that can attack. Um, it also gives that deck a little bit of extra reach. Like if you can get your opponent to 3, okay, cool, I just need to top deck 3 spells and I can win. It doesn't matter what they are. And Orzhov obviously loves this guy too. You can, again, get in some damage and then extort lighter. Uh, so just be aware that both of the white decks are very interested in this card.
1: I played this card a lot. Um, this was back when I was first, you know, into magic, like I said. So I was all very interested in the two twos for 2 and the three threes for 3. And you get a 2-2 two two with extort stapled onto it, and it's golden. I love this card.
0: Yeah, I actually just recently played it in the cube on stream today. Like, the card still got value. And it reminded me of how great Gate Crash was.
1: <laughs> Actually, as an aside, I, I remember a lot of these cards even though I didn't play with them a lot. And the reason for that is because I built a common and uncommon cube that included RTR, Gate Crash, and Dragon's Maze, as well as Theros Block, because I was trying to get my friends into magic and I thought this would be an easy way to do it. Okay. This, this was a very, very good card in that cube uh, because, you know, I made Extort and Life Gain kind of one of the sub themes. Mm-hmm. So I played and drafted this card quite a bit in that cube. So I do kind of have a fond memory of this, even though I didn't draft gate crash a lot. So I looked forward to picking this very, very highly.
0: And you will be doing it correctly if you are. Um, The last white card that I I think is a must mention is Smite. This is an oldie but a goodie. This was around when I first started drafting, but it's one white for an instant destroy target blocked creature, aka blow out their blood rush cards.
1: Yeah, the unfortunate thing is, is that it doesn't stop Italian... In its yeah. tracks uh, but you can get rid of the, the the good cards on the ground but yeah it just blows out gruel and any kind of combat trick um, yeah this is and this because it's cheap it helps you like trigger extort and you can hold you can play most of your cards on curve and you can hold this up with one extra mana or something like that like there's a lot of things you can do um, smite is is one of my favorite white removal spells I would say in this in this format
0: I think so too you do have to be able to block and it may seem like just blowing out a combat trick isn't that big a deal, but remember, Boros is playing Blood Rush cards. Simic is playing Blood Rush cards. Like, three of the four guilds have access to Blood Rush cards, and there's some of them that are so good, they're just going to be in those decks. Um, so it, it, it's more important than you think to be able to have some form of interactivity here. Um, that'll take us to blue. We'll go through some of the key blue commons and uncommons. First one is Cloudfin Raptor. This is one mana for a 0-1 Flyer that has Evolve.
1: <laughs> I'm in, uh, mostly because I remember how good this card was when you played it on turn one. I lost to this card a lot where my opponent would play it and then play a 2-drop and a 3-drop and a 4-drop and a 5-drop and all of a sudden I'm being smacked down by a 4-5 Bird that I can't block because I'm playing a bunch of two twos on the ground that have Extort.
0: Yep. Um, it's terrible when you top deck it late. I mean, this has that. But one of the reasons I don't like um, one-drops a lot in draft is because th- these days they're at rare and you get stuff like Toolcraft Exemplar or Nerd Ape or whatever, and they're, they're good on turn one, but, I mean, you've only got one in your deck. Cloudfin Raptor was a common. You could get four of these. You could make darn sure you had one on turn one. And then once you've, once you've cast two other creatures in the game, you've built your own 2-3 flyer that's just going to get bigger from there. Like, th- this card is a relevant one-drop. Um, like I said, you, you want to have a lot of them and you do need to make sure you can trigger them and make sure your deck is built to curve out, but these can be quite good.
1: Yeah. I remember in, uh, I think it was one of my pre-released seals is going back away a ways. I had three of these and I was able to go one drop cloudfin Raptor two uh, turn two play two cloudfin Raptors and roll my opponent because any creature that I played after that put, Three power and toughness on the board plus the creature itself. Yep. Um, so it was it was insane. Obviously, I don't expect that to happen every every single time. Magical Christmas Land is not for a couple of weeks, but I would play you know three four of these in a dedicated kind of evolve deck with a, a lot of those lopsided creatures, and I'd be very very happy with it. Late game, like you said, it does suck, but you will top deck more creatures, so it'll just take a while to power up these creatures mm-hmm. as long as the board is stable and you haven't died yet.
0: Yeah, if you ain't dead, they're gonna be good eventually. Um, Keymaster Rogue is another one I want to talk about. Um, and I'm going to mention this before I mention Hands of Binding, because these two cards kind of go together. Uh, Keymaster Rogue is three and a blue for a 3-2 that can't be blocked. When it enters the battlefield, return a creature you control to its owner's hand. Okay, so you're interested in this because you want to have something that can't be blocked, so you can deal damage to your opponent to get your Cypher spell engine going. Hands of Binding is one of those cards. Uh, These two play particularly well together. You also want to try to take advantage, like make that bounce one of your own dudes a good thing for you instead of a negative thing for you. So there is some enchantment-based removal. Um, Like there's a agoraphobia was one of them. There's a few of them running around, but not a lot. Um, If you can get creatures with enter the battlefield abilities, they combo obviously very well with this. Or if you have small creatures, one drops or two drops, that you don't mind bouncing you can do that. This card can be a finisher in a Demir style deck. Quite often, it was a six mana card for me because I just bounce a two drop and replay it. Like, that's not the most exciting thing in the world, but you have to have something to get that Cypher engine going. And then, Hands of Binding uh, is a sorcery one in a blue tap target creature an opponent controls. It doesn't un- un- untap during its controller's next untap step, and it has Cypher. When I was able to win with Demir decks, it often included a combination of these two cards. These are just an example of common, but versions. But there's a few other unblockable creatures or evasive creatures, and then um, cipher spells like that that you can get on them to try to leverage into winning a game.
1: Yeah, um, like I said, I, I I don't think I ever cast a cipher spell, or at least maybe I never connected with a cipher spell. <laughs> um, but this is the Hands of Binding is definitely one of the better ones that I remember. So I, yeah, I mean. I'm the wrong guy to ask, so I'll just believe you, I'll just trust you, um, but I would not fault you for skipping those two cards entirely, although Keymaster Rogue can go in a Simic deck, I guess, because of mm-hmm. uh, the the three power can be relevant, and you can get a, a boost out of it, but you're generally not bouncing your creatures that have evolved already, so Dave, again, like you said, it's probably like a six drop or something like that.
0: Dave, I've been in Simic and used a Keymaster Rogue, bounced itself just to trigger or evolve three turns in a row. Like, mm-hmm. it... You can still do stuff with it. It doesn't say other creature. It just says creature.
1: That is true. So if you have a turn seven Cloudfin Raptor and you, you can just hang on to your Keymaster Rogue and tap, play it three times.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's a thing you can do. So you there's some flexibility do. here. But I really just included those to give you an example of a creature that's difficult to block and a cipher card. Because frankly, a lot of the Cypher cards aren't very good, but Hands of Binding was one of the ones that could slow whatever your your Boros opponent was doing, because all your opponents are Boros, down long enough for you to win with the the unblockable creature. Um, I included this one just because it was a lot of fun. It was also quite good, too, if I remember correctly. Simic Flux Mage. Two and a blue for a 1-2 wizard with Evolve. You can spend a blue, tap it, and move a counter from this onto something else
1: yes i remember this card and on magic online you will have to remember to stack your triggers correctly so if you're looking to get extra evolve value by shrinking one of your creatures after a creature or well a creature has come into play and the evolve is on the stack you want to make sure that you do that correctly
0: yes yes stack triggers correctly we've also noticed that a lot of the simic creatures that we've seen in blue don't block particularly well um they want you again to be curving out and attacking again, pointing to the aggressive nature of the the format. But this one was neat because you can evolve onto it and then move the counter somewhere else and then evolve onto it again and just kind of spread your stuff out. It made blocking for your opponent a bit of a nightmare, even though you, even uh, though you could only move one counter per activation, just moving one counter on board uh, is going to mess up a lot of combat max for your opponent, especially if you've got a combat trick. And again, Half of your creatures are combat tricks if you're taking, you know, the good Blood Rush cards from green.
1: Yeah. There were, if I remember correctly, there were a few creatures that cared about having plus one, plus one counters on them in some variety. Was Experiment 1 in this? It was. uh, In in this one? Um, That was, I mean, we'll probably talk about it. It's probably on the list of cards. I haven't scrolled down far enough on this. It is. But yeah, it it cared about plus one, plus one counters on it. And then there was also a rare or a mythic that was Fathom Mage. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, where it drew cards when you got plus one plus one counters on it, so you could move plus one plus one counters to it and get those extra cards just for one in the blue. So there's some neat synergies there, um, not only power and toughness synergy um, and and other evolve synergy, but also actual mechanics that care about plus one plus one counters.
0: Yeah, there's, there was a lot of good stuff you could do with this, but I just thought that would kind of highlight some of the cipher cards as well as the evolve cards there. A um, couple relevant cards in black. Basilica's creature is a, another good one. This doesn't sound like a good creature until you play with it. It's one in a black for a 1-2 flyer, so Stormcrow, but it has Extort. That's just good enough to be a card.
1: Yeah, and another thing, actually, when you're in the Extort deck, when you're in the, the Orzhov or, or a deck that cares about the one side of the Extort color or the other, is that you kind of want these cheap spells as well because mm-hmm. they let you trigger Extort as many times as you have Extort Creatures on board, which is actually something that some listeners might not know, is that Extort is not a one thing. It's one per instance of Extort that you have on board. So if I have three Screechers on board and I play another Screecher, I can trigger Extort three times.
0: Correct. Thank you for pointing that out. So that, that, that's what's great about it, is all these cheap creatures trigger each other and you kind of get this Extort ball rolling. Um, the Basilica Screecher is a great example of one that two decks are interested in. The Orzhov wants it because it says extort and can poke in for a few points of damage. The Demir deck wants it because it can poke in for a few points of damage and says extort. It's kind of weird that it it works the other way, but you cipher onto this. Whenever you cast the spell for free, you get a free drain. Uh, So this works great in both of those decks. Uh, Next up is Devour Flesh. This is one in a black for an instant target player sacrifices a creature, then gains life equal to that creature's toughness. This is what removal looks like now
1: it was fine i it's not great but it is what we it is what we have at instant speed um good against the aggressive decks because generally speaking you just don't care what creature you remove you just want a (laughs) creature off the board exactly Um, that's
0: that's why i put it in here was to point out how important it was against boros you didn't care what you killed you just had to get that third creature off the table
1: um just be aware just like sacrifice effects always have been is You're always removing the worst creature. So you want to try to play it early or when you have your opponent, when they need to make a tough decision or they can't make any decision at all, obviously.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, there was actually a good removal spell in black as well. Uh, Grizzly Spectacle, two black black, instant destroy target, non-artifact creature. There weren't a lot of artifact creatures in this format that anybody cared about. It also um, mills them equal to that creature's power. Which was sort of a minor sub theme for Demir. They had a few cards that cared about that, not many. But you're mainly playing this for um, four mana instant speed, blow something up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was. Um, I mean, four mana, unconditional removal. I mean, that's that's what we get. It's no murder. It's no doom blade, um, but it certainly gets the job done.
0: It, it does. There's a lot of scary two drops that you may have to kill with this, though. So don't be too proud to blow up their. Uh, Wojak Halbadir, if that's what you got to kill with your four mana. Like, it's better to do that and stay alive. And the last one on the, the black list, I, I think people are going to think I'm joking here, but I'm not. Gutter Skulk, one in a black for a 2-2 zombie rat.
1: Strictly better than the 2-2 zombie in Innistrad. Or was it Innistrad? Yeah, we had Walking Corpse there. Walking Corpse, because it's a zombie rat, not <laughs> just a zombie. Yeah, um, so because a rat tribal as well. Yeah, it, pack rat. Not Tillgeek or uh, Dragon's Maze, but um, yeah, it blocks, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, and that that's what I'm getting at. And again, what I want people to be aware of is that the format is so fast that a 2-2 for 2 is just a great card in your black decks because you need to be able to block their stuff. If you're playing against Boros and you're not Boros, block everything that they're attacking you with. Just trade off dudes. And like, this was a key card for Demir. They had to have something to interact on turn two. Um, So, again, beginning of the format, you'd see these going late, pretty quick in once people recognize, okay, I'm playing black and I'm not sure I might be Demir, I need to grab these up fast.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how late these go in the flashback drafts, because I think there's a wide variety of experience and skill in these things. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes or if the meta kind of shifts at all back to the final days of Great Crash. You'll have to keep me posted on that one with your experience. Oh, I will. I'll be
0: playing a lot of this. Um, Some red cards. We've got Act of Treason. We all know what this does. Two and red for Sorcery. Still one of their dudes. Um, Just be aware it's here. Boros has this. rule. has this. They're both interested in it. In just getting your blocker out of the way and hitting you in the face.
1: Yeah, I mean, typical Act of Treason. It's it's pretty much the same in all formats. I don't think it's any different in this format at all. Um, So you know, play it like you would in any other format where there's uh, an active treason effect.
0: Yeah, I, I would argue that those go, that active treason goes better in aggressive decks. Mm-hmm. And both of the red decks are aggressive here. Like there's not a red controlling deck. Whereas you, you had that in it, you know, before, but you kind of don't have that now. Both of the red decks want to attack. So I think active treason gets a little bit better here. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this one, um, not because it's something you should take earlier, often, or whatever. It's just a card you need to be aware of. It's primarily there for Boros, but it's Ember Beast. um, Two and a red for a 3-4 Beast. It cannot attack or block alone. Boros doesn't care about that. They want to be attacking with three creatures anyway. And this card that may look like a drawback, it's not if you're playing Boros because it it just fits right into the theme.
1: Yeah, four toughness is very, very important for Boros. It makes blocking decisions extremely difficult. Like, you want to be removing this card because it's so big but you probably can't because you can't stack up your creatures against it very well especially if when it's attacking on turn four so huge fan of this card don't i mean you don't have to take it early i don't think because i think it does only go in the boros deck you could correct me if i'm wrong um but you know you probably want to pick it up you might not wheel it against experienced players but you probably want to try to pick it up late in a pack i would say yeah um
0: i've played this in rule decks i was never particularly happy about it but it just goes fantastically in Boros. Um, Firefist Striker is a just kind of broken card in this format. It's one in red for a 2-1 Battalion Target Creature Camp block.
1: Yeah, you know those games of Magic where you get on the back foot and you feel like you can never recover and you're always a turn behind? This is like that plus another turn behind.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's just a stupid card. A, a lot of... I. I, w- <laughs> I lost to Boros starts with fire well, they played a turn two Firefist Striker.
1: <laughs> yeah, all the bad beat stories against Boros are something involving Fire Fist Striker and probably haste creatures. And Woodjack Albadier.
0: Yeah, but we'll get we'll get to both of those. Um I listed uh Foundry Street Denison here. This is I just want people to be aware, again, that this is a playable card in this format. It's not amazing. It's not something you're taking early. There was actually a little silly deck you could make that ran 14 lands and involved this guy. But th- this was a legitimate card primarily for Boros. It's a one-mana 1-1. One, one. Whenever another red creature enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. This was actually almost good enough to just run in your Boros decks. Because mo- most of your creatures were red anyway. So it was kind of a one-mana 2-1. One. And you wanted, again, in Boros, to be attacking with three creatures. If you curved this into a Wojak Cavadier into the Sky Knight, you had Battalion on turn three.
1: Yeah, it was not here to get the plus one, plus zero, the extra power bonus um, as frequently as it was just to trigger an early Battalion. That That is, that is what you want to be doing if you have this card. Um, I wouldn't fault anybody for not playing it. And I wouldn't fault anybody for playing it. I think it just depends on the style of deck and how aggressive are you. Like, are you 14 land, turn one, turn two aggressive? Or are you 15, 16 land, turn two, turn three aggressive? I think we'll decide if you want to play this card or not.
0: Yeah, there there were a lot of 16 land aggro decks in this format too. I should mention that as well. Like I loathe playing less than 16 and find excuses to play 18 in most formats. I was playing 15 and 16 land decks in
1: this format consistently. Was that just Boros, or was that all colors?
0: Um, That was Boros and Gruul specifically. Right. Um, But 16 land Boros aggro decks were pretty common. Right. Um, Madcap skills. If I lost to Boros didn't start with Firefist Striker, it started with this. Uh, This is one in red for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus 3, plus 0, and has Menace.
1: It just makes Battalion so much better.
0: It does, and it, it like you can also put it on creatures that already have some sort of evasion, even if it's not a good one, like first strike. There's plenty of first strike creatures in this set. Like they can't interact with it. There was even a, a artifact, I believe, that got indestructible with battalion. It wasn't good. Like it was a two one for three. But I put madcap skills on that dumb thing and killed people with it, and they couldn't do anything.
1: Yeah. They they want to be blocking this, but they also want to be blocking your other creatures. So you lose battalion on following turns. Um, You know, quite frequently you would you would play a two drop, three drop, put this down, get some damages, and then you know play a four drop or a five drop on turn five, and you have battalion with a menace creature that is very hard to block, and you've already done five, seven, nine points of damage just through the natural course of the game with with madcap skills already. It's it's kind of insane, and again, it goes against that mentality that we have as new generation or that i have as a new generation magic player when it comes to like two for ones and losing your creature and an aura and feeling really really bad about it if you do like six to nine points of damage with this who cares it was a two mana lava axe Uh like you're okay with it and you probably lost a two one like who cares
0: that's the perspective playing on an emboros now imagine for a minute that you're gruel and every creature in your deck is a combat trick And they double block your menace guy. You just turned every creature in your deck into a two for one. And eventually they're going to run out of dudes to block with and you'll kill them with it. So like I liked this a little bit better in Gruul, but it was it was busted in Boros as well. So be aware of this card. If you are in if if you are in a red deck that wants to be aggressive and if you're playing this format, that's exactly what you're doing. You need to be picking this card. I was happy to have two of these in either Gruul or Boros. It's, it's just that good. I can remember starting turn one, um, the 3-1 Sky Knight, and then playing this on it and connecting for six. Like, the game's halfway over by that point. And it's going to fly later with Menace. <laughs> good God. Okay, um, moving along. Mugging is going to be our last red card that we'll mention. We already mentioned it. It's a sorcery speed shock that makes something not block. This is just exactly what red wants to be doing. Blows up the little stuff, gets through your big stuff later. It, it's good on, you know... Turn one or two, and it's also a great top deck later to get through the last few points of damage. Uh, For green, we got a couple cards here. I wanted to mention Burst of Strength, not because it's great, just because you need to be aware that it exists. It's an instant for one green. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature and untap it. Um, Again, all the decks are wanting to attack each other. Racing is a very common thing to do here, and this is a card that can stop a race just by getting a surprise blocker and pumping one of your dudes. You can also use it as a combat trick, like plus one, plus one will be enough to win some fights, and the counter sticks around.
1: Yeah, um, it doesn't just, like, stop the race. It actively swings the race back in your direction in in a lot of board states. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember being a big fan of this card, and again, the plus one, plus one sub-theme in Simic can be important. Um, This is just a really decent plus... Combat trick. Um, and I did play this quite a bit. I played it quite a bit, probably because I was new and it was easy to play, but um, I, w- I was a big fan of it at the time. And I think I will continue to be a big fan of having one in my Green Bay's deck.
0: It, it's good. It, it only suffers a little bit because of the Blood Rush creatures. Like, if I can play a combat trick that could also be a 3 2 if that's what I need instead, I'd probably rather have that. But I was usually happy having one of these either in the main or as a go to card in the, in the sideboard. Like I, I didn't really want it against Orzov or Demir, but I definitely wanted it against everybody else. Croconura, I'd imagine you played a good bit. This is two and a green for a one-three crocodile frog with reach and evolve.
1: I kind of just realized that. Um, well, not just realized. I mean, I've kind of known for a while, but I didn't realize it at the time that all of these simic creatures had two types and they were all very weird. Yes. Fish, lizard, crocodile, frog, etc., etc., etc. Um, yeah, I, this, this was a good evolve enabler, um, because of the three toughness, like a lot of the evolve creatures had like very low toughness. Um, if, if I remember correctly, and this was kind of the opposite of that, obviously. So it was good to have one of these for balance purposes, just to make sure you had ways to continue to trigger evolve, even after your creatures had got, had got bigger. Um, plus it's easy to pump on turn four because you will play something that has more than one power right so you can mm-hmm. you can pump it it'll pump a lot of things it gets pumped by a lot of things and it just blocks everything like yeah. there's no reason why this can't be a three five with reach on turn five
0: yeah it, it was just a great card and it kind of fit that lopsided power and toughness that simic wanted anyway um i mentioned it here it, it this is not an amazing card but it's one you wanted in all of your green decks not just gruel uh, disciple of the old ways this is one and a green for a 2-2 human you could spend a red to give it first strike until end of turn it's obviously better in gruel because you could first strike it and then play your blood rush card on it to basically win any combat but even simic needed two drops just to interact and block uh so don't pass this guy up just because you're not in gruel and if you are in gruel make sure you get a couple of these you're gonna want them
1: yeah it was you know fairly easy card and if for whatever reason you're playing a couple of guild gates in your simic deck, you're playing the the Gruul guild gates or something like that. It's not uh you know a wild theory to have the ability to activate or have yeah, have the capability to activate this off color ability. It's just not the, the ability is not what you want in the simic deck. You're just playing a 2/2 body at that point. So don't go ham trying to activate it um you know unless you're in red naturally, I would say. Yeah, agree.
0: I I did put experiment 1 on here. Um I think this was an uncommon it's it's worth being aware of and I also wanted to take a minute to explain how its ability works because I've seen a lot of people get this wrong. Uh, it's uh, one to green for a human ooze weird uh, it's a one one with evolve you can remove two plus one plus one counters from it and then regenerate it
1: yeah the trick is you remove the plus one plus one counters before combat damage happens because you have to regen before combat damage happens. So where you're going with this is, and I I made this mistake, and a judge told me, and I was like, oh, this feels so bad to have a judge talk to me. I don't want you to be like Dave. Don't be like Dave. Don't be be a wiener. So a 3-3 attacks, you block with your 3-3 experiment one, and you're like, sweet, I'm just going to regen. Well, you remove the plus one, plus one counters. It is now a 1-1, and regen, and does not kill the 3-3 anymore. In order for that trade to work the, the way that you think it needs to, you need to be a 5-5 blocking a 3-3, remove your 2 plus one plus one counters and regen. But at that point, you don't need to regen. Yeah. So it's really tricky to play the regeneration ability. What it does do is it kind of gives you the ability to protect against removal. Um, that's kind of where the, this regen ability shines. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So I wanted to take a minute to explain that because I've seen a lot of people mess that up. I did not know that you were one of those people, but like basically anybody who is starting to draft in this format thought they could do a lot more with experiment one than they actually could that doesn't make it a bad card it still fills the same role as the cloudfin raptor you play it on turn one you get like you know one of these and three cloudfin raptors you've got a lot of good one drops to jam out there
1: yeah and it actually makes a really good blocker you're just never killing their thing
0: yeah yeah Yeah. um we do have a ramp creature here and you You can build some ramp decks, and Gruul is interested in this too, because again, some of their creatures uh, in red green just got big. It wasn't all about play a two drop and attack with it. Sometimes you play a six drop and kill them with it. Uh, But we've got green side watcher. This is one and a green for a two one elf druid. You can tap it to untap target gate. Now this creature was fine because it's a two one. It can block the Boros creatures, and sometimes that's just what you did with it. But if you're in Gruul and you have a few gates, it's not unreasonable for you to be playing some fives and some sixes in that deck, mainly because at four mana, they're just a giant combat trick. (laughs) But if you survive long enough, you can play big creatures and then start to overwhelm people with them. So the Greenside watcher was, was worth having in specifically in gruel. I didn't really care for it in Simic.
1: Yeah. um, I don't remember how many gates I used to have in this format, probably because I wasn't drafting them highly enough. How many gates do you think you would get in your average, any deck?
0: I'd usually have two on-color gates if I was only in a guild, and I'd look to have um, three to four if I was splashing. Splashing, I'll mention, is a lot less common in this format than it was in Return to Ravnica just because of the
1: speed. Right. So you're not getting the ramp as frequently with this, but the possibility is there.
0: It is, and the fact that it's a 2-1 in a format of 3-1s and 3-2s that are attacking you so early means that sometimes you just play it and trade it off, and that's just fine. Yeah. Okay. Slaughterhorn, I wanted to mention, it's kind of the premier common Blood Rush card. Uh, it's two and a green for a 3-2 Beast, or you can spend a green, discard it, target attacking creature gets plus three, plus two until end of turn. Like, this is an, almost a giant growth when you're attacking, or a 3-2 for three, depending on whichever you need. So this this was probably the most commonly Blood rushed card that I played with. It was great in Simic, it was great in Gruul. I, if I was green, I wanted... I think I played a deck with five of these once and was thrilled about it.
1: It's so good. I mean, if you like if you play five in your deck, half of them are removal spells and half of them are creatures. It's just so flexible. It's 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 a split card and we all know how split cards are amazing. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this one as well as the next one on the list. I scrolled down a little too far here um but yeah blood rush was an amazing ability it made combat math so difficult and that i think is where i started to shine in the format or not in the format but just in magic in general was when i could make combat difficult for my opponents absolutely what is the next one dave ah i'm glad I get to read one here it is wasteland viper which is a single green it is a snake one two creature with death touch and blood rush For a single green you can discard this and attacking creature gets plus one plus two and gains death touch. So you were trading with whatever you wanted, you could two for one yourself, but a lot of the time that extra toughness would make sure that you uh, kept your creature that was blocking around, Mm -hmm. uh, or sorry, that your creature that was attacking, you can't use this on defense, you can't use this on defense. Um, but yeah, you were killing a lot of things. And if you were lucky enough to put it on something with trample, you were just (laughs) running over. It was great. This Actually, there was a few times where I cast this plus, uh, the, the, or, uh, blood rush, this plus the trample for lethal. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. We should mention, um, death touch is lethal damage to a creature. Trample says that any damage additional to uh, above lethal uh, tramples through, so you only need to do one damage and then all the rest of it tramples over. Everything that Dave said, plus sometimes people are attacking you, you can just spin a green and have a 1-2 Death Touch blocker and take out anything. It was good in gruel Mirrors, too, because if they were attacking you with big stuff, it could block the big stuff. So just a, a good card on both ends.
1: I can't believe that we just got through a format with um, a 1-1 one, one Death Toucher for 2 mana that we were happy with in a lot of cases, and this is a 1-2 Death Toucher with an extra ability for 1. Yeah. Yeah, this Just is quite a good card. Put that into perspective.
0: going <laughs> to let that sink in for a minute.
1: <laughs> a little marinate a little bit.
0: Now we're going to go to the multicolor cards, and the first three are why Boros is going to kill you. First up, Skylight, Sky Knight Legionnaire, 1 red-white for a 2-2 Flying Haste. If you had a 1-drop and a 2-drop, you now have Battalion on turn 3 attacking. Even if you don't, you've got a Windrake with Haste.
1: Yeah, for the same cost as Drake, it's slightly harder to cast because it's two colors, but who cares? This card is insane.
0: Yeah, and the fact that it's evasive means that it's really hard for your opponent to mess with your battalion. Uh, this card was just busted. Uh, True Fire Paladin ended a lot of games. This is red-white for a 2-2 human knight. You may spend red-white to give it plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. Period. You may spend red-white to give it first strike until end of turn. Were you planning on blocking?
1: I was, but not if you have 4 mana.
0: Yeah, not if I have any mana. You can't block this. And then after you don't block it, I'll cast my Wojak Calvadiers with that mana, which is uh, red-white for a human soldier. It's a 3-2 for two. We could stop there and it'd be good. Battalion, it has First Strike.
1: Yeah, and it's a common.
0: Yeah, the the Truefire Paladin's uh, an uncommon, so we'll, we'll at least be thankful for that. But these three cards are what made Boros the premier aggro deck of this format, and just so stinking fast. These were the three cards you did not want to see from your opponent, or you wanted in your opener if you were playing Boros. They're, they're just
1: really powerful cards. The only saving grace is that these cards are all two-color. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only saving grace if you're playing against them.
0: But how often do you keep limited hands in your two-color deck, and you have one land of each color?
1: It is pretty rare, but I mean, sometimes you do, right? Yeah, um,
0: sometimes you can whiff, but quite often like I I, I just my the quality of my Boro stack depended on the the number of these three cards that I had in it. Yeah. All right, move, moving along. I think I've stressed enough that this is a fast format. Drake Winged Crisis was one of our simic uh gold cards that I liked. It it's it's simple, but it's a good card. It's a 3/1 flying trample.
1: Yeah, and it it doesn't have evolve. Correct. It will trigger Evolving if on a few of your creatures. Um, it's just that aggressive. It's just that aggressive flyer, right? Three damage in the air for three is kind of a big deal. Um, it trades up a little bit, but you're generally attacking with this. Trample probably won't come into play unless you have some way to cheat some plus one plus one counters onto it. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a solid creature. It plays nicely with Blood Rush if they have a flying blocker.
0: Um, so your Slaughter Horns can go on this too. But this this was just a fine card. Uh, another cement card I liked a lot was the Shamble Shark. Um, this is a fish crab. It's green blue for a two one flash evolve.
1: Yeah, this was one you wanted to keep your your eyes on um, on your opponent's mana early in the game. Uh, you know you're attacking in, and you're like, oh sweet, I can just attack in because my opponent has nothing. They didn't play their two drop. Bam! Surprise fish crab.
0: Yep. Um, bear in mind that it's often attacking as a three two or a 4-3 the turn after you play it, because you can cast some other creatures and evolve them. You can flash this in and evolve something else. Now, it's got to be pretty low for it to get triggered by evolve on a 2-1, but this was just one of those annoying cards to play against and a fun one to play with.
1: Yeah. I remember playing a lot of these as well. Um, It it was a fun card if you're in Simic.
0: Uh, Next up is an Orzhov card, Kingpin's Pet. This is one white-black for a
1: 2-2 Flying Extort. This was one of my favorite cards in the entire format, I think, um, because it was a 2-2 Flyer and because it had Extort. I really liked Extort in this format. It was a ton of fun. Um, but it's just good. It's ag- it's aggressive because it's 2-2 Flyer and it has Extort. So it's everything you want in the Extort deck. I know I've said that before, but this is one of my favorite cards. And the art was really good, too. Yeah,
0: this was just a remember. fantastic card. I think it even had good flavor text. Like, it, it was everything you wanted out of Orzov. Um, so definitely worth a mention here. And it, it's, again, a common. Like, if you've got an Orzhov deck with three of these, it is vastly superior to an Orzhov deck that doesn't have three of these. Um, removal is one of our next ones. 1,000 Lashes. This is too white black for an aura. Enchanted Creature can't attack or block. Its activated abilities can't be activated. At the beginning of the upkeep of Enchanted Creature's controller, that player loses one life.
1: Stab Wound, more expensive and and better obviously.
0: Yes, it's it's a rest with tack on a drain. Um I've killed people with this card.
1: Yeah. Um I mean if you're in the Orzov deck anyway, you're already hoping to drain your opponent like that mm-hmm. um with your extort. So this is just kind of like an extra free mini extort a lot of the time. Um plus there's a lot of things you just want to be able to kill this essentially kills a lot of those things. It effectively removes them. So, big fan of this card. I remember first picking it in my first uh, Gatecrash draft, actually. So
0: You're probably not wrong to first pick this out of a lot of packs. And there was an enchantment removal running around. Like, Naturalize was in the, the format, but people weren't just jamming those main deck. Uh, I put a couple uh, demir cards in here. Um, these are worth knowing about. Again, if, if you're going to try to win with Demir, it's going to involve some of these cards. Bane Alley Broker was one of them. This is a, a fantastic card. Uh, it's one blue-black for a zero three. 3 Tap it, draw a card, then exile a card from your hand face down. So that's very similar to looting. You can look at those cards anytime you want. You can also pay blue-black and tap it and get one of those cards back.
1: Yeah, I don't think hiding cards... From your opponent was important. Um, there were actually there were there was one card, Sin Collector. Was that in this, or was that the was <laughs> that it was in the next one? Oh no that's, no no, no. Think, that was in Dragon's Maze. But that yeah, was in was Dragon's in Maze. Format. Okay, never mind, never mind. Um, so I don't think hiding your cards from your opponent was important, but the looting was. And me, as a noob player at the time, did not really recognize the power of this card. Uh, but I recognize it now. Even if you're just looting and you're never getting those cards back, that's fine. But if you remember, hey, you know, I tucked a land away there and I really could go for a land this turn, you know, just don't loot for a turn and draw a land guaranteed instead, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, there's, there's some neat things you can do with this card and it is very powerful. It can be expensive to get those cards back. So yeah. you're not getting a card worth of value when you're looting unless you're pitching a card that you don't care about, just like looting is in general. Uh, but you can invest the time and the mana to get those cards back and get that card advantage.
0: And as a 0-3, it was blocking some things sometimes, which is fine. Um, Another card that if I was winning with Demir, I was often winning with, was Call of the Nightwing. This is two blue-black for a sorcery. Create a 1-1 blue and black horror creature token with flying, and it has Cypher. It's worth noting that you could Cypher onto the token. So most often what you wanted to do was already have an evasive creature. Cast this, make a bird... Hit them, make another bird, right? So you, you kind of start making 1-1 one, one tokens. But in a pinch, you could just make a 1-1 one, one that would make another 1-1 one, one every time it hit them.
1: This is an example of a card that's overcosted because of the cipher. Yep. We had Eyes in the Skies in the previous in, in uh Return of Ravnica, which was two tokens for four mana at instant speed, and now you're paying four mana for one token at sorcery speed with Cypher.
0: But if I've got an evasive creature, I do get the other token, and then I can continue to get a token every turn. And yes. if I have a Basilicus creature that I've cast this on, I'm also draining you for one every turn. So yes. it's, it's one of those cards that creates a little engine that's difficult for your opponent to interact with. But it, just like Dave's saying, it is over-costed for what you're getting unless you can get that repeat value. You
1: feel real bad if you play
0: this and you don't get the extra value out of it. Oh yeah, like you've just discarded the card at that point, basically. Um, Death Cult Rogue is our next one. This was a hybrid mana, so it's... Um, one, and then two additional mana, which can either be some combination of blue and or black. So this was easiest to cast in Demir, and they wanted it the most. It's a 2-2. It can't be blocked except by rogues, and there were hardly any rogues in the format. Although, pay attention if you're casting it, but this is your evasive creature for Demir. Orzhov was also a little bit interested in this, and Simic would sometimes play this just to get an evasive creature. But you were mostly after this in Demir.
1: Yeah, the hybrid mana makes it really, really flexible to put in all in all in all, in all, all of those decks, um, but the Cypher is where it, it really shines. Correct.
0: Uh, okay. Dave, you mentioned this next one before. Why don't you
1: tell us about this guy? Yeah, Goreclan Rampager, my boy. Two uh, red and green, so four mana cost for a 4-4 four, four Trample. Huh, I'm sold on it already. Like, I'm <laughs> in love with this card. Full stop. And then it had, has Blood Rush for red and green. It's cheap to Blood Rush, and it gets plus four, plus four in Trample.
0: Yeah, so this guy was great as a combat trick or great as a creature for you to use other combat tricks on. It was
1: just stupid, crazy good. This is, this is like, I mean, there are guild mages. I thought of this as a guild mage in the format because it had two really good modes. Yeah. The only only downside is one of them wasn't repeatable.
0: Correct. Um, Ground Assault is our next one. This is red-green for a sorcery. Ground Assault deals damage to target creature equal to the number of lands you control. I just put a little note here. Count your lands. I got so used to playing this and having it just be a terminate that occasionally I would play it and then wonder why their creature wasn't dead and realize that I hadn't played a land for the turn. That can be embarrassing. Um, this is very close to terminate because the creatures are all very small in this format. But count up your lands and make sure you're doing it right. That said, it's, it's very much, hey, are you gruel? Cool, you can kill somebody.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you're going to hit five lands, you're going to hit six lands, and you can just kill most things at that point, and you can kill a lot of cheap things. So don't let the casting cost of red-green scare you. Like, you might not be casting it on turn two, but you're probably casting it on turn three, turn four, and still happy with it. Absolutely.
0: Um, Pitfight was worth mentioning. This is another hybrid mana card. Dave is giving me thumbs up. Tell us about Pitfight, Dave.
1: Oh my god, this was also my favorite. Like, I have so many favorite cards in gruel and and in this set in general i forgot how much fun this set was pit fight is one and a hybrid red or green so two mana cost and it is an instant fight spell yeah like and let let that sink in
0: yeah it's prey upon an instant speed um every deck that can cast this so boros Gruul, um and simic are interested in playing this card Um, it also plays particularly well with blood rush cards because you can blood rush something and then fight something else. Um, this card is absolutely insane and it is premium removal for any of those decks. It does suffer from all of the drawbacks that fight cards normally have, but being instant speed, you can play around a lot of those by doing this in response to your opponent's pump spell or something like that.
1: Yeah, that, that was a key, uh, key aspect of this card is being able to two for one your opponent very easily, which is. Not easy to do with fight spells in general. Instant speed. Oh man, you're going to have so much fun casting this card. Listener audience. I guarantee it. <laughs> it was good. It was good.
0: Um, that takes us through all of the cards. I really wanted to mention here. Um, I, I did want to, I'm not going to do like a full review and card analysis for dragon's maze, but I, I did want to mention one thing, uh, for gate crash. There are still guild mages here. There are still charms here. Um, they are very good. I don't remember Boro's charm being particularly good in Limited, um, although it's seeing its day in modern these days. Uh, I could give a creature double strike, deal four damage to your opponent, or make your dudes indestructible. You could still fit that into Boro's deck. Like that that was fine. It wasn't amazing. It was fine. The others had some form of bounce or removal or something like that going on. But all the charms are good and playable. All the guild mages range from excellent to good. Like I remember the gruel one could animate lands or some mess. Like it was just absurd. So those are all still there. And then for Dragon's Maze, I'm not gonna do a whole breakdown on this, but I want to mention a few things about drafting.
1: Um Did
0: you draft much Dragon's Maze, Dave?
1: Unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> tell me why. I say unfortunately because Clue Stones as a newer player <laughs> trying to trying to build the collection. I I story time with Dave. I bought a box of Dragon's Maze and thought it would be kind of fun to play like a sealed event with some of my friends. And we just ended up with like 12 clue stones each. It was so dumb. I shouldn't, like, you know, Wizards does a lot, they do a lot of great things when it comes to magic. The clue stones were like the ultimate feel bad card because it was a small set. Yeah. And when drafting it, you would end up with like three clue stones at the end of a pack. Like the Asphan on, on, the clue stones felt like it was three or four clue stones. I'm sure it was closer to two, yeah. But you would get a lot of clue stones, and they would all go late. They're like the clues from Innistrad, except with a mana cost that was prohibitive to play and cast, and they weren't even useful if you were weren't cracking them for cards. They were just <laughs> they were just bad.
0: Yeah. Play key runes instead. Yeah, I, I I would go with what Dave is saying here to prime you for Dragon's Maze. Clue stones are not good. You don't need those. It's okay if you have one or two in your deck. However, when you're getting ready for Dragon's Maze, recognize that you can do five-color crazy stuff. You can take all the gates and play all the bombs. The most important thing to recognize about drafting this is we've told you for Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash to figure out what guild is open. And we've really drilled that in your head to figure out what guild is open, not what color pairs are open. And draft the guild, draft the guild, draft the guild. In Dragon's Maze, if you identify that Gruul is open, that does absolutely nothing for you. Because there's only one pack that has Gruul cards, and the person who's passing to you in Dragon's Maze is not passing the Gruul cards to you. So you led to some really weird drafting strategies in this format, one of which was to try to identify a Pack 1 guild, a Return to Ravnica guild, that was open and draft that, knowing that you'd get hooked up in Pack 3. Another strategy that I didn't particularly like was try to really cut the hell out of a, a gay crash guild. Like, just take all the Gruul cards and force them so that the person next to you couldn't possibly be Gruul and would have to pass them to you. The best strategy I actually found with, with this set was to try to identify a, a guild from each of the two packs that had a color in common. So, like, Borzov, you'd hear people talk about. Boros, Orzov, that doesn't work. There's only one pack of those, but you could do something like um... Orzov and Azorius. Exactly. There you go. So you could have basically an Esper deck where you're getting the Orzov cards from pack two, the Azorius cards from pack three, and you're going to need a lot of gates to make that happen. Fortunately, every pack of Dragon's Maze had a gate in it. So you can pick up, they also had those, those uh, clue stones that Dave is mentioning, which while not great, would allow you to play these three color decks. So you could look for a shard or a wedge that was open that kind of bridged the whole set. So be aware of that when you're drafting. Like um, the uh, white, green, black, Abzan basically was another one that I liked quite a bit because you could get the Celestia cards and the Orzov cards. Um, Aggro kind of dies when we move along to Dragon's Maze. It's still technically possible to do because there are some aggressive boros cards for example in dragon's maze but you're only getting one pack of that one pack of gate crash and then you don't really get any cards for your boros deck in pack three which is return to ravnica so that, that that's my best advice for you is take the gates take the bombs and try to straddle two guilds one from each of the last two packs as you're going through these
1: yeah, and then at the very least, if it doesn't, if your three-color deck doesn't pan out, you probably still have a lot of um, monocolor cards that you can play that fit in one guild or the other, and you kind of just pick your best multicolor cards and, and go with that. Um, but yeah, focusing on fixing in Dragon's Maze seems to be very important. Um, you also... Actually, there's also the potential for Shocklands too, so be aware of that. I don't know if they're still worth money on, on Magic Online, but Shocklands were in some of the guild... Uh, or the gates. Uh, slots Mm -hmm. in dragon's maze but yeah when uh travis mentioned that the gate there was a gate in every pack that replaced the basic land i seem to recall yeah yeah so it was very very easy to pick up one or two pieces of fixing if you wanted to um in, in the form it was it was pretty similar to cons in that regard where there was a lot of you know tap lands in that format that you could just pick those up if you wanted to um is it possible to just pick nothing but fixing or mostly fixing in dragon's maze and just go to like fill your deck with two packs. I guess it really, I guess it should be because it should be very easy to straddle three or four guilds in that case. Right.
0: It, it was to basically pick a color that you were not playing. The problem was not everybody can do that or there's not enough gates to go around. So there was usually at a, a very well-developed table, like late in this format, two people that were grabbing all the gates and then six people that were trying to to bridge those two guilds from the packs. Now, remember, there's still gates in the other two packs. So those first two guys or gals are getting all their gates in pack one and then just setting up to take bombs in the next two packs. If you're between two of those people, it can be a very frustrating experience to try to draft this format because nothing's open, right? Like there are no bombs coming to you and they're fighting with each other over the gates. So you get basically no gates and no fixing that's where you end up in one of those scenarios where you have to try to take the Boros cards and make it work with only two packs. Um, so you, you can do that, but I would still like try to take the bombs that are going to... That, that was the strategy that I found to be most successful. I drafted a lot of Dragon's Maze, had a lot of fun with it, had a very high rating through it, top five to GP with Josh and KYT in Dragon's Maze. Like I remember this format very vividly, and all of the drafts I did that were successful was, was taking that, pick a pack one guild and a pack two guild that mesh... And then just draft that. Usually, very heavy in one of those three colors, and kind of lightly touching the other two off of my gates for the gold cards.
1: Lightly caressing the other two colors. Yes, lightly caressing. You heard it here first.
0: <laughs>
1: I love it. Okay, and don't draft clue stones. Can't stress that enough. Dave loves clue stones. You heard it here. I, I have. I had like a stack of a hundred in a box downstairs that I found the other day. <laughs> That's terrible. Cracked. It man. is very terrible. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Travis, what did we learn this week? We learned that going back and doing a set review for an old set takes a
0: lot of time, but is remarkably rewarding. And I'm very excited to draft Return to Ravnica, Gatecrash, and Dragon's Maze. This is what I'm doing on my stream for the next three weeks.
1: I love it. I have yet to play a flashback draft because uh, not only did I not play them, I wasn't interested in playing single elimination drafts that I might not uh, that might take me a while to learn. I just don't have kind of the time and the resources to to spew that off. But I am very interested after doing the set review and having the nostalgia factor kick in to do some flashback drafts with these. And I really hope that they are league and or Swiss. Just so I can play more, um, but I'll definitely be jamming a few of these when when I stream in my limited amount of time. So
0: limited that is what I amount learned this of week. time. You my said? limited amount. Allow- I
1: did say that. I'm I glad you picked you up on there. that one. I see what you did there. Excellent. And we learned that uh, pack rat is busted. Confirmed. And guilds are the best. Guilds are the best. Go Boros. Yeah, I'm going to say go Boros as well. So. All right, that's going to do it for this week. We hope you enjoyed your time listening to us, and we will catch you next time.
0: If you are of a mind to do so, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Simulan. Dave is... At DCivilian. You can catch us there. Uh, You can also find our streams on Twitch. I'm twitch.tv slash Simulan, and Dave is twitch.tv slash DCivilian.